Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. crashes in you know it's time to begin and wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Casper, Blue Apron, and Squarespace. Squarespace! They're bringing the show to you, DLC, of course, the show, all about games. And there are many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Canato, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis, the guy who always calls me by his name, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. I texted this to you earlier in the day, but I wanted to bring it up. Uh, on DLC episode 15, our guest was none other than the now Oscar-nominated, she's at the Oscars right now as we were recording this, screenwriter Emily V. Gordon. The episode was There Are No Awkward Places. So since episode 15, Emily has gone on to write an Oscar-nominated feature film, and we have gone on to do 200 more episodes. (laughs) Where else, though, Christian, can you listen to a video game podcast that has Academy Award-nominated guests? I mean, this is... This is you can't do that anymore. No, I mean, I, you could do it when the indoor kids was going, but now you can't do it anymore. Because I, I love Emily and Kumail. Uh, I also I think uh, the Big Sick was phenomenal. So I wanted to say uh, congrats again to them and shout out to them as they are at the Oscars right now. I'm sure having a wonderful evening. They're the best. Indeed, uh, we are going to have a wonderful evening because we have lots of great video games to talk about that we've been playing. We also have an awesome guest to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, I am so excited because DLC stands for Dude Loves Cheap. Because from Cheap Ass Gamer and the CAG cast, none only, none other than Stuart Noct. Wombat himself is joining us for the first time. I'm so excited. Stuart, welcome to the show. Hi, can we take that again from the top? I don't think my mic was on. I was saying all sorts of things when you guys were talking. I told I totally I don't think I don't think any of it came through. Oh, the music is playing Stuart. That's the end for you. You have to walk off stage now. Thank you so all much. Right, I just want I want to thank my friends and family for tuning in and stay tuned next week when our topic will be oh, no, cheese snacks. No, that's the wrong that's the wrong show. Stuart, that's a show we don't do anymore. Uh, wrong show, wrong show. Refocus. 
Sorry. Um, this is new for me. I've never been on a podcast before, so it's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole new world, man. Uh, welcome. I'm, I'm so glad you can do this. We've been wanting to have you on for a long time, but uh, usually our recording time is not acceptable. And now we've changed our report- recording time mostly just to get you on the show. So I'm very excited. And I appreciate it because I am an East Coast person and a day job person. So I'm pretty much the worst person. You are. So... <laughs> But we, we, we love you anyway. Uh, let's get into the show and start the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of video games this week. And you can submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. It's where cool folks hang out and talk about the show, talk about video games, talk about all kinds of stuff. And Stuart, you are our guest, so you do get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? I think I'm going to go with uh, ESRB adding in-game purchases to label game boxes. <laughs> it sounds like a good choice. This is a, a pretty big story. Uh, this is the ESRB, the Entertainment Software Rating Board, the people responsible for those ratings on video games, even though our president doesn't know that video games are rated. They are, uh, as probably everyone listening to this knows, uh, rated M for mature, rated T for teen. Wait, wait, wait. Come on. Say it like you mean it. Rated T for teen. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so good. <laughs> it's in the game. The, uh, yes. They have been tasked with now taking on the new issue of the day, which seems to be uh, loot boxes and predatory practices. We've talked about it numerous times at this point. Uh, on the show because it really has become front and center ever since really Star Wars Battlefront 2 was released. It kind of was the game that thrust it into the limelight in a real way and, and got legislators to start talking about it. And that pressure then uh, trickled down to the ESRB and the ESRB decided they needed to do something. So what they have done is added a new label to any game that can be purchased or, quote, wherever they can be downloaded. So these labels will persist online as well. And the label will inform customers whether games will offer the ability to purchase digital goods or premiums with real-world currency. So there's no actual distinction for how those things are delivered to you. There's no mention of loot boxes per se. It's just, hey, there's in-game purchases above and beyond whatever purchase price you're paying for the game. So, Stuart, what do you think about this? Do you think this is A, necessary, B, effective, and C, uh, something that will uh, move the needle in any any real way on this issue? Is there a none of the above in your multiple <laughs> choice? I think, I think perhaps that might be the, the correct answer, yeah. Let me let me rephrase it perhaps then for you, Stuart. As Jeff and I are both parents, but you've been in the game longer than we have. Is I was going to some- say, I am a parent also. <laughs> yeah. Is it something that you're worried about your oldest getting into? Like, has she found found the trap that is in-game purchases or loot boxes? Any of that appealing or any of her kids? I mean, because that's the fear, right? It's I, I, I actually have children. real – I could go with real-world example because my daughter has been playing – Fluffy Fall on her iPad. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the game. You are a fluffy rectangle and you're falling down a hole and you have to like avoid buzzsaws and flames as you fall down the hole. That is the whole game. There is not much metaphor for my life, actually. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, it's very exciting. It's cute. It's, you know, it's an iPad game, 
but she wanted a specific fluffy and that fluffy was $2. And we had to have the argument today of I'm not letting you spend $2 on a fluffy skin for your fluffy ball in this game that you're going to stop playing in like two weeks. Right. But at least she's able to buy that fluffy and she wasn't buying a chance at that fluffy. It sounds like that right? is true. Yeah. It's not a, it wasn't a loot box. It was just buy the fluffy. <laughs> just so buy the fluffy, <laughs> which I think may be the title of this episode. Um, <laughs> so yeah, loot boxes is not a thing we've really hit yet. And, and I think that's mostly just based on what we play. Cause there aren't that many. I'm trying to think of, like how many real like kids games are loot boxy, which I guess is sort of smart. So I, I think we need to sort of parse this whole issue, right? Because do, do you think that in-game purchases in and of themselves are an issue? Or do you think that the, the issue is this sort of gambling aspect of loot boxes? I think it's, it's, I think it's the, I'm not a fan even of mystery boxes, uh, like right. mystery minis, like the Funko mystery minis. I'm not even a fan of those. I hate those. Well, how do you feel I was about not just a fan? Pure by the fluffy. Like, is by the fluffy an okay thing for a game? It's it's okay. I mean, also in the fluffy game, you can unlock it by, by via gameplay if you play a lot. Um, play a lot for the fluffy. Yeah, play a lot to get the exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I'm. I mean, I think we're in a world where buying in-game content is just the reality. So you know, I, I'm I'm accepting of it. I, I'm not saying I love it because I don't like to spend money on anything. I don't have to. But, um, yeah, it's fine. At the end of the day, it's fine. I, do I love horse armor? No, but there's horse armor in the world. And, and I've grown to accept that. Well, certainly horses have grown to accept it. Um, <laughs> uh, this is my issue, honestly, with this ESRB move, is that it does kind of muddy this issue, and it doesn't do anything to address the real thing that, that people have been talking about, which is the idea of purchasing a chance at something and the fact that that level of gambling is actually does something to our psychology that makes us want to continue to do it right you can buy the fluffy and then you have the fluffy and then they need to figure out some new thing that they can sell you that's equally as desirable as the fluffy but when you're just buying a chance at the fluffy the chance is always desirable they don't have to worry about coming up with something that's actually desirable because the chance itself is desirable. And that's what some people perceive to be predatory. And the fact that the ESRB makes no distinction between games that have legitimate uh, in-game purchases and games that use loot boxes seems to completely miss the point. Not only that, but I challenge either of you to come up with a game that was released this year that doesn't have something in it that you can purchase additionally, like, DLC content or Celeste. an expansion path. Celeste. Uh, you don't think that Celeste at some point will have something else no, you can buy you in it? say at some point. You said that doesn't. Well, I'm saying, okay, at some point. I mean, the idea that there are games now that won't have this label on them seems to be an infinitesimal minority. Is the DLC for Super Lucky's Tale, was that, is that paid DLC or was that free DLC? Yes, yeah, paid. It's oh, paid. it is, yeah. Hey, my, my point, my point yes. isn't isn't the challenge. My point is the fact that <laughs> this label is going to be ubiquitous and but therefore I like the useless. Challenge. <laughs> I accept the challenge. Jeff. Yeah, this is yeah, more fun. And I many see ways. where this episode is going already. You two knuckleheads. Uh, <laughs> remember, remember when uh, you had Carboni on and how that was a living hell for yeah. me, even though I love both of you. Yeah, well, I thought it was really. a living hell for me. I remember it being a living hell for me because well, you guys welcome. ganged up on me. Welcome back. 
Welcome. Back. I don't think uh, the Zoo Tycoon remaster that came out on the Xbox. I think that's pretty complete. It's like <laughs> bucks. Either way, I, I feel like this is uh, a a ridiculous uh, a ridiculous move from the ESRB because it it's just going to be on er- all, nearly every game. Let's say ninety five percent of games have something else to be purchased, and there's no distinction. The label is the same label no matter how that thing is sold to you in the game. It's either uh, you know, Legend of Zelda has a DLC thing that you can buy, then it needs right. the label. But uh, you know, another game that has loot boxes. It's same label. There's no, there's no actual education happening here, which seems to be their stated goal to educate the buying public and more to the point, educate parents. And this, right. I think, completely whiffs on that. I I agree. I think what they're doing here is I think they released a statement to placate to tr- attempt to placate um, legislatures at state and federal level. And then they did the bare minimum thing on a box that changes nothing. So their statement is, we want, we need to educate parents. We need to talk to them about this. We need to do this. And here's how we're doing it. <coughs> and so now we've educated them and, and it's, there's no real, um, you know, education being done, but they're trying to do the bare minimum. And I think we've talked about on this show, the ESRB, it doesn't represent consumers. It's not a consumer advocacy group. It represents the publishers. And so they're going to do the bare minimum to not get in the way of what publishers want to do or deem to be the best for their business practice. And then we'll see if it's enough. I think if we get another... Well, that's my question, right? That was my C C part of my question was, does this move the needle at all on assuring people that this issue does not need to be further regulated. No, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, it's funny too. Cause it's like, how much regulation does it really need? Or is this something that if you knew when you were going to purchase a loot box, if it told you what the odds were and you knew you couldn't get a duplicate, would you be happier with your, with a loot box as opposed to, I played the star Wars battlefront two today and I opened my daily crate and I, and although I didn't pay for it, it had three cards and one of the cards was a duplicate. And if I had paid for that, I would be super bummed if I got duplicates. And what do you do with that? So I, I think it's. You can't like disenchant them or break them down into it something. Gives you like, the, it gives you some credits back, but it's not like enough yeah. to buy another pack. <laughs> right. So yeah. it, 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 it's a, it's. It's a tricky situation. I mean, there's also even like uh, Wildlands Ghost Recon, which just introduced loot crates after a year of release, which is also sort of an interesting way to do it. They waited a year to even have it, and now it has it. And I think like 90% of what you could get in the box, you could also buy. But if you want to just buy it, it costs like twice as much as opposed to taking a chance with a loot box. They also guarantee no dupes, I believe. No dupes. No dupes. I, I guess that's good. It's, I mean, yeah, it's it, fascinating. It, it's, it's like, it's, I don't know if it's good. It's, it's just less bad. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. actually a, a good distinction. I, I'm, it's, like, I, it's like, you know, oh, I've got, I've really got to go to the bathroom is still better than diarrhea. Mm, mm, right right no I, I i got the i got that without the additional metaphor <laughs> <laughs> i kind of like the metaphor though it's kind of what i do fair enough um yeah i mean i think this is 
completely ineffective and ineffectual. And it's, it actually makes me feel like the ESRB is, I was always a fan of the fact that they actually had, uh, ratings on these games. I thought, I thought that actually was a a pretty helpful thing that conscientious parents could actually understand what was in their games. And you could quibble about how these ratings get handed out. And people always do with both movies and video games, but I liked the fact that it existed. I thought it was a useful tool in the, in the hands of a, of a conscientious parent, but man, this makes me feel like it is a bunch of idiots over there (laughs) because this is, I think completely both misses the point and, and, doesn't even not service the thing they intend to service. It actually obfuscates it and makes it more problematic. I think it is actually doing a disservice to potential buyers because it paints everything with the same brush and makes it more confusing. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think the only time we'll see if anything further happens is if there's something that gets the mainstream appeal or I could say interest of mainstream medium or activists as um, Battlefront 2. So does someone do something as perceived offensive as that again? And then how riled up do people get? And if so, this step by the ESRB will be looked back on as nothing and people will be angry. We gave you an opportunity and this is what you did. Or gamers accept it or EA learned from it and moves on, you know, or something else happens. There are rumors that for the next battlefield, took the Battlefront 2 fiasco to heart and they are adjusting accordingly. So I think that's going to be the real measure is how publishers and developers respond, not this label from the ESRB that basically just says video game, right? That's all it says. So Christian, what is your story of the week? Uh, My little baby Switch took its first steps. Mm. It it turned one yesterday as of recording this. It's the cutest little guy. Um, The Switch is one. The Switch turned one. I do a whole ALTMM about it this week. I recorded it earlier today. Um, so you can find 20 minutes of me babbling about it. That's if you your, want. your, but, your uh, uh, right-wing All Lives Matter podcast? <laughs> <laughs> it's Alt Media Matters. Yeah. You know how Media Matters it talks yeah. about media? It, he, he does Alt Media Matters. With your co-host, Pepe the Frog. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how has this become my nightmare now? Um <laughs> but i wanted to talk about it here i'm gonna hit it every time yes you were saying something about switching Uh, yes i was saying something about um switching our guests for this week's (laughs) show to um it turned one i love it i said some things i predicted some things incorrect about the switch i predicted that zelda would be more of the same it wasn't i predicted it wouldn't be a huge hit it was i predicted the switch when it set the world on fire even though i was going to love it because i love handheld gaming I was wrong. It did. Wow. I do love it. Um, Sounds like you were right about nothing. uh, I mean, I was right about admitting when I'm wrong. (laughs) Mm. The best thing. At least you're a big big enough man to admit it. Thank you. Yeah. I'm big enough where it counts and um, which is in my ego. I think the Switch has had an incredible year. I'm a little concerned about what this year brings, but it's kind of hard to be concerned about a console that just had one of the best years ever, best first years of any console incredible game releases to be like, well, what do you have for me now? Um, but man, the switch turned one. I thought we should, we should recognize everything that it did. Yeah. What a, how a year flies by, right? Um, big, big 
year for Switch. Obviously, uh, it has sold like gangbusters. It already surpassed the lifetime sales of the Wii U. It has broken the PlayStation 2's record for first year sales in Japan. It's the fastest selling console in US history. So it's doing real well. Not only that, but it has two, I would say, generationally excellent games in its first year, which yeah, not too shabby there. Yeah, and it's, it's got getting... a Mario Kart and that Super Mario game where he goes to all the planets. Two very <laughs> good classic games. You leave your Zelda hate yes. off this show, good sir. Oh, that game is so terrible. But anyway, <laughs> you guys, you're talking about the Switch. Oh, you're tempting me to, to jump down that hole where all those chainsaws are waiting for me. Yeah, uh, well, it's, it's a steaming pile of garbage. But, but wait, anyway. Let's do it. You guys have your have your fluffy fall. I will sit this one out, and I want you and Stuart to I haven't to played that time. game in so long, I really would probably – I just know I don't like it. Yeah. And if you, don't like it, if you like it, you're allowed, and that's fine, and I'm glad you do. That is my official opinion on The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. I have loved every Zelda game that came out before it. The, I, I don't need to love them all. And right. in this That's one, fine. I just don't. It's it's too much like the the Dark Souls type of punishment, roguelike elements that I dislike in any game. And this game has that, and it has it in spades. I'm never going to like it. It could be any <laughs> single... You could take any license you want and slap it on some sort of roguelike RPG with with no ability to to flux difficulty, I'm going to hate it. Okay, well, we don't need to do a referendum on Zelda. The, the way I'd actually like to frame this year anniversary of the Switch is that I think I would venture to say the majority of the reason that the Switch has done well isn't its software lineup, although I think that has helped. That is that is a minority reason. I think that is a significant contributor, but not the main reason. I think the main reason is that the Switch as a concept just caught on for people. It was this thing that we've all sort of wished for for a long time, and nobody's ever been able to do it right. And Nintendo finally delivered that idea of a home console that feels like a home console, but that you can take it on the go. But I would argue that the first year of the Wii changed the software software changed the video game world in a more significant way than the first year of the switch. And I would like you guys to, to tell me if you agree with that or, and if so, why you think that is, I think the, Wii saw more effects in it, in the competitors feeling like, Oh my gosh, we need to be in the Wii business as well. We need our move controllers. We need our, it, it felt like it was a real shakeup to what video games had been. And it, maybe it's too early at this point, but it doesn't seem like anybody else really cares about chasing the switch conceptually. Microsoft and Sony aren't, aren't racing to kind of be a me too in that way. And I wonder if you guys agree with that and can tell me why you think that might be. Oh, no, I agree. I think you're, you're a hundred percent correct. The Wii was, uh, was a different animal. It captured not just the gaming industry, but it also captured the zeitgeist in a way that the Switch hasn't. Um, you don't see Ellen bringing out her Switch and playing anything on her show. But when the Wii was out, it's come on out and we're going to play. We'll play a little Wii tennis before we sit down on the couch. Right. I mean, that was a thing you saw on TV, like outside of gaming. And... Microsoft wanted to be a part of that. They wanted people playing dodgeball with a Kinect on the Tonight Show. 
So it, it that's that that was the reason, you know, that it was it had nothing to do with the video game industry as much as it had to do with the everything else industry. <laughs> if that's a yeah. thing, you know, no, and, I, think, and, I think that's a solid point. Yeah. And I think that's why you see that with saw that with the Wii and you don't see that now with the Switch because the Switch is it's incredibly successful and I'm glad it's successful. I own a Switch. I have no reason to be down on it. Um, I think you see that with this. You're not seeing that with the other consoles trying to compete because it's not something that they're not losing their ground or their mind share because of the Switch like they did with with the Wii. There's no mind share lost for the Xbox One because of the Switch. I wonder, just I wonder also, uh, Jeff, to your point of your question, I do agree with your statement. I, I wonder, though, if some of the part of the reason why they're not pursuing it is they I feel like Sony and Microsoft both got burned a little bit by pursuing Nintendo the first time. And this time they're just kind of like, you know what? We're going to do our thing and we're not going to bother chasing Nintendo again. Microsoft has been committed hmm. to this play anywhere, play on console, play on Xbox, you know, create this games cloud service, you know, subscription service, you know, download the games to your console kind of approach. And Sony has been winning. So I feel like they haven't been as you know, there's PlayStation now and things that they're doing. When you when you're when you're winning, you don't need to try as hard. When you're in second place, you try a lot harder. And when you're Nintendo, you do what Nintendo does and 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 everything will be fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because you know, when the Wii came out and it sold like gangbusters and everybody was talking about it, I guess you're right. I guess it more it was more of a cultural thing than the Switch has been, but certainly the sales have been there. And if if they're just chasing that dollar, then it would seem to me like they would be chasing it in the same way that they chased the Wii. But I guess it really had more of a cultural uh hold, as as you pointed out, Stuart. Um so maybe that is that is the difference, but it, it just odd to me. Or maybe we're just haven't seen that handheld xbox or playstation uh that is around the you corner. know playstation tried handhelds i don't think it's for them they've they put a lot of probably too many eggs in a vr basket that they're still trying to figure out they also still it's have the well. best-selling console that uh so they you know i don't think they're really worried i don't think they're worried about anything um right. xbox as as christian mentioned earlier they have that game subscription model that they're starting to focus on a little bit more i think it's you know when i think of smart things that microsoft has done not maybe not necessarily for me and you as the consumer but for them as a company the idea of subscription services that we just kind of pay for at this point and don't really think about like xbox live and now ps plus i mean you, you just kind of do it you do it because you have the console it's like oh yeah and i pay my 50 dollars a year that 50 dollars a year for everyone who owns a console that adds up and that's something that nintendo hasn't really quite figured out yet i mean they don't they don't even have it yet they they, they haven't been able to figure that out so fair enough there's a there's it's just i think it's more about when the wii came out which you know it's it was a long time ago. It feels like it was what a decade ago, eleven years oh. ago. Wow! It was a different. It was a very different environment for all these companies, and they didn't quite know who they were. And Microsoft has turned into this. You know, they went with their "we want to own the living room" and subscription-based things that just give them that steady stream of money. Sony just wanted to have the and and smartfully had the most powerful console on the market when it released. That was a really good idea. 
which is the which is a in many ways an exact opposite approach of the Wii, which when that came out was the least powerful console on the market when it came out. So I think it was really right. a lot about just the these companies finding what their strong points were for them, not necessarily for the consumer, but for them as a company, and then releasing a console accordingly. And it actually has worked out really well for all three companies and the consumer, which is almost kind of crazy when you think about it, because I can't think of that ever happening. Yeah, so far so good. I feel like we're in a we're in a good place right now. I know, isn't it weird? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, happy first birthday to Nintendo Switch. Um, we'll see how this second year of the console does for it. I can't imagine they can top uh, from a software point of view what they did the first year. But Pokemon, um, I'm sure there's some Pokemon, some Eternal Darkness too. No Pokemon. I think Pokemon is going to be a big hit, but I don't think it'll be the the award-winning, you know, break breakout sort of transcendental hit that that uh, either Mario or Zelda were this year. Yeah, I hope so. What about or you, Jeff? Year. Do you have a, a story that you want that you, that you think is more important than either of these, or something you want to highlight? Well, uh, I'm not going to talk about um, the government wanting to talk about uh, talk to the uh, video game industry. Uh, it is a big story and it's developing it's messy and I'm sure it's not what our listeners really want to hear about anyway. So let's um, talk about that after gonna... it happens too, when we know what they say yeah. instead of like speculating right now about what's happened. Who, sure. who he actually meets with. Right. Cause that's yeah. sort of a, but it, it is certainly a big developing story that we'll keep our eye on. Uh, a story that's close to my heart is, is the fact that there was the first um, VR challengers league esports tournament this week this weekend and I watched a bunch of it and I really do think this is the future of esports. Hmm. I, I, I think, I mean, I, I think VR is the future of everything, but I also feel like the, the fact that you can watch someone do something physically in that little picture in picture window, instead of just their face staring blankly at a screen uh, is a big deal. And while we don't get their face anymore, cause they have the headset on, I do think uh, seeing the physical movements that are required to pull off some of these uh, impressive uh, in-game uh, abilities is pretty cool. And I think it will be something that will eventually be uh, really watchable and really fun. I'm assuming neither of you guys watched any of this. Um, I was going to ask you what game did they play? There was only two. And uh, the game that I watched was uh, Lone Echo Arena. I think it's called Lone no echo arena, but it's the game lone echo. The multiplayer side is called echo arena. And it's basically the game. If you are familiar with the book enders game, it's the training simulator is basically almost exactly what happens in echo arena. You are weightless. Everybody, there's two teams. You're trying to score a goal by throwing a disc through a, a goal hole, a <laughs> goal hole. Um, <laughs> but uh, you, if you, you can get knocked out and frozen for a little bit and then you're sort of drifting in space, you can push off of things and bounce around the, the, you know, X, Y, and Z axis of, uh, axis of the, uh, zero gravity environment. It's really compelling and really fun to play, but it's also really fun to watch. Uh, and I think that they can actually improve that and highlight that more, um, based on the stream that I was watching. It felt like there's more to be mined there for, for showing you, you know, how they can use some mixed reality and do some really cool stuff, I think. Uh, and then the other game that was being competed in that I didn't get to see any of is um, the unspoken, which is the insomniac uh, mage versus mage game where it's like a Harry Potter wizard duel. Um, 
So those are the two VR games that are being uh, that have a league at this point. Uh, it's all sponsored by Oculus. Could by you? Want- so who is more ready, player one or player two? Was he? <laughs> I mean, you joke, but I think that movie, if that turns out to be a really big hit and popular and good, I think that can really have a big effect on people's perception of VR and and the market for VR. Sure. And I interrupted Christian. So you say whatever it is you were going to say. Go for it. Feel free to interrupt Christian at any point. (laughs) Oh, oh, no, I do. I just see (laughs) that. I was just going to ask if you watch in VR or if it was possible to watch it. Did, did they tap into that market at all where you're like the floating head? Because was it Dota that does that the best still? Dota does that really, really well, and it's really awesome. Yeah. Um, and Dota, you can watch actual esports tournaments. that The guys are com- not competing in VR, obviously. They're competing on regular you know, version of Dota. But you can watch it in VR and fly around and see other viewers that are watching. It's spectacular. I did not watch this in VR. In fact, that's an interesting question that didn't even occur to me. I, I imagine there might have been a way to do it that I didn't even look into, but I, I was watching it on Twitch uh, the way you would watch any mm-hmm. other streamed you know, Twitch event. Uh, but I thought it was pretty cool. They had, they had actually really good casters uh, talking, you know, giving you play-by-play. And the, uh, it's very much like a sport. I mean, it, it, especially Echo Arena because you know, it's basically throw a thing through a goal and um, teamwork and, and they even – had names for some of the positions in that game, even though it's a sci-fi yeah. game, they were calling them like the quarterback and stuff like that. So it was interesting. Um, but I think they can go farther in differentiating it from non VR esports and, and really playing up the fact that these, these guys and girls have to be physically adept to do it. And what they're doing is really interesting to look at, uh, which is, I think a big contrast to, Normal esports, which, to be honest, as much as I love esports and watch the games, seeing the people playing it is rarely impressive to look at. You know, that's true. I think in general, I mean, that's why uh, physical sport, whatever you want to call it, is so much fun to watch. It's watching a guy dunk or an amazing pass. Like I yeah. like the mind games of poker, and I can watch a little bit of it. But when like poker boomed in whatever that was, 2000, 2005, and like ESPN always had countless poker tournaments, like it's not that fast. You're not doing anything. You're sitting there trying, literally not trying to do anything. (laughs) And so like a a sport where you are physically engaged creates those highlights and and stuff like that. And I could see if it continues to evolve, um, you know, VR esports being huge, especially things like uh, Sprint Vector. Um, yeah, man. Oh. You showed me kind of funny, put out their funny video of them. And that's like not pros doing it, right? Like I think yeah. a pro sprint vector league could be really, really cool. Oh, for sure. And I know that um, uh, Servios is already talking about doing a a sprint vector league. Um, this tournament, this uh, VR Challengers League is is sponsored by Oculus. And so you'll notice that the two games are both Oculus exclusive games. But I think this is going to expand, and as as VR gets more popular, and I I just really feel like this is going to add a layer of watching esports that is going to be interesting and attractive to people, and you'll get it. You know, when you see somebody play Sprint Vector well, it's going to be fun to watch them play it well, and especially when you add mixed reality where the player themselves is against a green screen, and you can put them in the game world, and now it looks like they're actually in the game world doing all their movements. I think. I think that will be a real compelling visually and it will bring in people that don't normally watch video games because they get it now, you know, like they, they don't have to understand the game per se to understand that something impressive is going on. Yeah. Cool. All right. 
Uh, anything you want to add on that? You're a, it sounds like you're a big VR skeptic. I, I'm just, you know, I've played, I've actually played VR before. I've used an Oculus before. It's, I don't know if it's for me, but uh, again, I'm not one to tell anyone that they shouldn't love what they love. So, you know, fair enough. That, that's that's what I that's what I had to say about that. But yeah, I guess well, skeptic is good. <laughs> is good. Yes, indeed. good moniker. Let's uh, let's move on and talk about the games we have been playing. But first, I need to talk about our first sponsor, Casper. Oh man, talking about uh, moving around in VR. You know what happens? You get tired. When you're tired, you want to lay down. And when you lay down, you want to lay down on something nice. And when you lay down on something nice. You want to make sure you didn't have to spend an arm and a leg for it, and you want to make sure you can buy it easily. That's where Casper comes in. Casper is a sleep brand that makes expertly designed products to help you get the best rest one night at a time. Casper mattresses, uh, like the one I got, are easily delivered to your house. You can you don't have to go to a stupid mattress store and lie down for two minutes on uh, – it's funny. I was watching uh, the new Queer Eye for the – for the straight guy, a reboot on, on Netflix. And, uh, they, uh, the first episode, they go into a mattress store to get, get the guy a new mattress. And I was like, I don't have to do that. That is not a fun experience. I don't have to do that because of Casper. You don't have to go to a box, big, big old, uh, brick and mortar store and lie down on a mattress to figure it out. Casper will send a mattress to your door and let you sleep on it for 100 nights risk-free. That's amazing. You can actually sleep on the mattress, decide if you like it for 100 nights. If not, they'll come back and pick it up from you. It's risk-free. It's it's pretty amazing. And these are really nice mattresses with over 2, excuse me, with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon and Google. Casper is becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Uh, and, um, they offer two mattresses, the wave and the essential, the wave features a, uh, patent pending premium support system to mirror the natural shape of your body. And the essential is a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night. These are affordable because Casper cuts out the middleman and sends it directly to you and you get hassle free returns. It's great. It's really fun actually to get your mattress. When mine arrived, it came with a little package that let me open it really easily and then it just sort of unfurled in my house. It was pretty neat. So check it out. Plus, we're going to give you a $50 credit toward select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash DLC and using the promo code DLC at checkout. Terms and conditions apply, but get over there. Check it out. Go to Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R dot com slash DLC. Use that promo code DLC. Get yourself 50 bucks off uh, your new way to sleep better and feel better and rest. Rest. Oh, God. I love rest. Time now to talk about the games we are playing and... Stuart, you have a game on your playlist that I am eagerly anticipating. Um, you have been playing the what early beta of Sea of Thieves, the uh, the stress test. Yeah, it's like the the stress test. I played the stress test over the weekend because I hadn't I hadn't played any of the other betas yet, and I'm like, you know what? I have a little bit of time. My my wife went to a party on Friday night and was out until like midnight, and I wasn't invited. <laughs> so you so I'm like pirate party. So I threw my own pirate party. I wish that wasn't true, but that's a true story. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, so I played that. And then I played a little bit the next day. 
And when you first play, and I've been told there's going to be a tutorial in the final version, but I don't know. The game comes out in three weeks. So Yeah, evidently there's a whole mess of stuff that hasn't been in any of the versions that people have played so far, like like a tutorial, like a bunch of loot and items and things to do. And it seems odd to give people a first impression that isn't indicative of, of what the game is going to be, but but I'm still interested to hear your first impression. It's gorgeous, by mm. the way. The game looks stunning. The sea when you're on a when you're on your boat in the water and and you're just kind of sailing someplace, you feel it. You do. They did a great job. So with the that. sea is great. What about those thieves? <laughs> um. Well, I played the first time I played where I didn't know what I was doing. I just kind of wandered around for like an hour, and then I was like, "Well, this is boring." And then I I, I mentioned that online, and people were like, "Oh no, you got to go to this guy who gives you the scroll, and then you take the scroll to a table, and then you open the scroll up on a table, and then when you open the scroll up on a table, it starts a quest, and then you got to go to the map, and the map's behind the table." <laughs> I'm like, "This is." I'm like, "Wait, so this I'm just supposed to know this?" So anyway, if you're listening to this, now you know. You got to talk to the old man who gives you the scroll. Then you go to the table. You open the scroll. Then from the scroll, you go to the map. And on the map, you find the thing on the map. And you circle it. And you take your boat. And then you find the treasure. Why did she swallow the fly? Perhaps she'll die. Exactly. And then you take your treasure once you find it. You take it back to the old man. And he gives you another scroll. And then you go to another island. And you find the treasure. And you bring it back to an old man. And that seems to basically be the whole game at this point. I don't know what else they're going to add to it to make it seem a little bit more. I don't want to say interesting. But it, it's just, you know, a fetch quest. Just a, one, It's the same basic same fetch quest over and over again so far. I wonder if the problem, Stuart, has, is more messaging than it is anything else. I, I wonder if they're doing the opposite of kind of, remember the first des- like Destiny 1's first beta and it came out and everybody's like, oh my god. And the full game's going to be so much bigger than this. There's going to be so much more to do because the trailers and the well, way they talked ex- about it was so big. Yep. And then it was like, oh no, mm-hmm. that, that was the whole game. The, the Destiny beta was the whole game. In this, I feel like they're not talking about it a lot. They they have said, as Jeff mentioned, they're going to introduce more to the game, but they're putting this beta out and letting people just kind of play like a sandbox. And I wonder if like someone like you, you know, you're jumping in, not really kind of knowing what you're doing. If you walk away nonplussed, would it be helpful if they had told you what's coming? Does that help you get more excited for it? Or um... I don't think so. Cause I've played it and it'd be nice to know, like you've played this much, but just you wait. Mm. There's no real gear to pick up yet, but just you wait. There's not, you know, the leveling up system, it doesn't seem to do, have any type of advantage, but just to wait, <laughs> you know. And I played on a big ship. You could play in two different ship sizes. You could play in a big ship with four people. You could play on a small ship with like two or three people, or you could do the small ship solo. So I did the first time, first couple times I played, I did a big ship. I was ship. always told that it didn't matter the size of the ship. It was the motion of the ocean. <laughs> Yes, well, that is true. Also, and I no, mm, no one's ever told me that. I've <laughs> and if you're on a big ship with lots ego. of people, they can vote to put you in the brig on the ship, and then oh. you're just in jail and you can't get out. So oh. I helped these three people get three treasure chests, and I thought we were going to go turn in these treasure chests and uh, and get our are riches but instead they locked me in the brig because i guess they didn't want to share it what did you do to them what caused them to turn on you i absolutely or is that just nothing. a pirate way and it's not like 
like I, I got us killed by someone <laughs> or I did something. It's not like I took a treasure chest and threw it overboard. I just was on the ship going to the islands, <laughs> following the maps, helping them treasure up. I, when, when someone was digging, I would kill some skeletons to make sure they didn't die so they could get, I was a helpful member of the team. And the next thing I know, I'm in, I'm in the jail and I didn't have the person, other people on the ship didn't have mics, but you can like have text go across (laughs) this. Like you could do like text things on the screen. And I was just say your your first mistake was trusting a pirate. Basically. And I'm doing the text. I'm like, help, help, help. And some this jerk was just staring at me, just going, no, no, no. That's I'm like, funny. this is the worst. How did you get out? Like, this what do you do? Do you have to restart the game? You have to quit the game. You have to quit the game. <laughs> That's so everything. You lose. I didn't get anything for the three chests we found. I want this game more now. This sounds amazing. Oh, it's it was the worst experience <laughs> I've ever had playing a video game. Really? Yes. That sounds that, that sounds hilarious, and it, it it sounds like a sociology experiment, which yeah. is which is it makes it fun. Uh, I did you didn't... play solo, and when I did that, I got like three chests by myself, and that was cool. I uh, then, then I played with Cheapy, <laughs> and we had a good we had a good time. I, he had the luxury of having a tutorial because I was with him, being like, "No, you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this." He's like, "Oh, okay, I get it now." And then we went, and all he wanted to do was find another ship so we could attack it. So we're going, and we're, he's basically, I'm letting him just go wherever he wants to find a ship. We find no ship at all. <laughs> he's like, I gotta go. I'm like, fine, you go. As soon as he left the game, like the thing came on the screen saying, your party, your, you know, GPD has left your party, cannonball stuff <laughs> flying at my ship. <laughs> like clockwork you couldn't have it was like a bad movie and then i died and i was like okay well it's time for me to go to bed anyway but as of right See, now i think you're you're talking and telling these stories and this sounds like this game is brilliant but are you are you being genuine about the fact that you didn't enjoy it i i, I that, well that's the crazy thing i didn't not enjoy it i actually when i was playing with cheapy i had a really good time when i was playing by myself i kind of enjoyed it there's something even like the peaceful part of it i really liked it was just the fact that your teammates can vote you into jail <laughs> and you have no recourse. You got to be on your best behavior. Yeah. And also it would be nice if there was just, you know, knowing that there's more to do other than just a constant fetch quest. Cause I could see that yeah. getting real tiresome after about, I don't know, an hour, but right. I don't know. I have game pass, so I'll play the, the final version when it's out. Yeah. It's just, you know, they need a thing when you're in the we'll jail see. that like, you can, after whatever, you can dig a hole and like escape, but then you have to swim. So you're out in the middle of nowhere, you know, like some punishment for being locked away. But the fact that you just have to leave the game. I mean, it's a very funny story. Can I, you get a request for parlay, right? Isn't yeah, that the pirates do? Yeah, like something. A request of parlay. Let me out. Let me out. Like, yeah, you want to force me to jump off the plank and I have to like yeah. just float and bob in the water until I can find land or something or another ship yeah. to jump onto? Fine. Or you want to I kill me? Kill so me. Excited. I'm That's so excited. So I, I, I can't wait for this game. It's so yeah. funny. This looks like fun. Uh, you've also been playing a little of the South Park. Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming it's the most recent one, the Fractured Butthole. Yes, the Fractured Butthole. That game is fun. Have you? Have either of you played that? I have. I, I didn't quite finish it, but I got I got real close to the end before things took me away from it. And I, and I have it still installed on my hard drive 
thinking that some point I'll finish it, but I haven't yet. Yeah, I enjoy. I'm enjoying it. Um, it's funny because I said this on my own show. Was there's part of me that would love a game like this that wasn't South Park themed, hmm. but still superhero hmm. themed. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, they nail a, a lot of the superhero stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. Not are, are you a South Park? Man, are you? Do you dig their humor? Because their humor is well. I'm an I'm an old place. old man. For those who don't know, and I remember when my wait wait wait, wait, wait. Com- I found you. I have a map. Where do I put it? Exactly. <laughs> put it on the table. <laughs> okay, great. And and I remember watching the Spirit of Christmas on VHS when that was a right. Like the the first ever South Park Christmas card. South Park yeah. Christmas card. My friend's father was a dentist in Oklahoma who got it from a patient and he brought it back from Christmas break in college and we sat down. And he's like, You have to see this. This is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And that was the Spirit yeah. of Christmas special. Three hundred years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Back we watched things on our VCRs that were powered by dinosaurs. And right. so, you know, I had a good South Park run of like 10 years, but then, you know, you change and life goes on and you fall away from shows. So I guess I like South Park as much as the next person. It's just, I don't, you know, it's fine. I'm, it's fine. Right. It's just not, it, it's not like I'm watching it, looking for the minutia details going, oh, I can't believe they have this thing in from episode, you know, seven in there. That's crazy. I love that bit. Right. So, yeah. But I like the game. <laughs> the game, this, let's say, but the game itself is so good. It's, it's engaging. It keeps moving. It's still, it's a term, and it's a turn based RPG, which, you know, you don't see that much of. And the mechanics are really good. And the story is still interesting. It's, and it's funny at times. Like there's, you know, I was yeah. in the, uh, the gun shop and the details they put into just the song that plays over in the gun shop. I was laughing to myself that, you know, where's my America is the song that plays. Yeah. And it's just so yeah. funny. And cause it's, you know, they, they know what they're doing. It's, it's great. I can't, I don't have enough yeah. good things to say about it, but there's still that part of me. It's like, I would love to see Ubisoft take what they have in this South Park game and apply it to something else like they did with Far Cry. Cause basically all their games are Far Cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think the combat system is really, really good and and fun and leveling up your characters and getting items and stuff. It's like it all works as a video game real well. Uh, and the the world is South Park. I mean, it is. You can tell that Trey and Matt really were involved in every step of the way. Like it, there is a, a level of attention to detail that is that is pretty impressive. Um, so yeah, yeah, I agree. Cool. Yeah, uh, Christian, how about you? What's on your playlist? Uh, one thing I want to talk to Stuart about, cause I, I'm hoping he's played even more of it than I have. I know he's played more of the game. Um, I spent time with, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles characters and in Injustice 2. Uh, one, the game continues to be amazing. Two. Yes. Those characters are incredible. The way they are, they're really good. They, they feel different, but yet clearly the, trained by the same master. Like the <laughs> splinter. They share. Splinter. They share a lot of similar moves, but when you go in and adjust their equipment, is how you kind of change the turtle. Um, and then when you're playing as each turtle, like they they feel unique enough to feel, you know, not not just like a palette swap. 
but clearly yeah. not totally redone. Oh no, turtles, it, which, and it's true because it's like sometimes I, when I was trying out the different turtles, it's like finding the one that you like the best. And when you're playing the one you like the best, then you switch to another turtle that isn't that turtle. I get, I actually got annoyed. I'm like, no, this, I want to, I don't want this move anymore. I want that other move back. Have you done, so. I haven't done their tower. Like what's their gear progression? Like that's what I'm hoping you've done that. I haven't, done. I don't have, I don't have that much. They, I've seen some of the gear and it's really cool. I tried to really unlock a good amount. I have, you know, like a mask and some shoulders and a couple of different weapons. But uh, not a ton. I think I got them up to level 11 or 12 at this point. Are they pulling from like TMNT 3, the movie, like where they go to Japan and stuff? Or like, is it kind of yeah, from the they, I've, I've seen lots of weird stuff. I want to say there is some samurai gear. Oh, man. It gives yeah, so good. Who's your turtle, by the way? Do you have like a favorite? Because I'm a Leonardo all uh, the way. I, I want to like Raph, but I tend to play Donatello. I find Raph's uh, super move is is sort of lame because it's like a charge thing. Right. I'm not a fan of that as opposed to Leonardo's where it's like, oh, hit one button. It's going to do a lot of damage <laughs> and there's and you can do it three times in a row real quick. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I have, I'm the kind of player that Leonardo, it's like, oh, that's who I'm supposed to like. So I need to find somebody else. Like Leonardo's the everyman. He's the leader. Uh, so yeah. I've always gravitated towards different turtles. And I think I think it's tmnt the arcade game is why i've always loved donatello because i'm like he has to have a longer reach he has a bow staff yeah that was me yeah, totally. i was always a donatello guy in the old uh, arcade yeah. game Man, you had Donatello's purple baby yeah oh yeah also the prince right uh yeah yeah <laughs> but it's it. so it's so good if you haven't checked it out check out that game if you have the game the character they're a little more expensive than just like one character but are you worried that there was no warning label on the box to tell you <laughs> no no i would say at this point though maybe wait for the end of the month when they're coming out with that super ultimate super edition of the game is that officially announced yes it yeah, is that's okay. yeah that comes out i think on the 23rd yeah. it's like price yeah. the same as the regular game but it has everything yeah. okay i mean that's kind of what i got on black friday anyway but yes wait for that then it's a it's a very good game wait for that the second game yeah. we can talk about this game right jeff you and i we can talk about it yes is there anything it is I not out yet talk about Nope. I haven't finished it, so this isn't a review anyway. Um, but we got codes for Way of the Passive Fist, which What's we play. That? Um, it's a guy who doesn't like violence, a pacifist. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I didn't get it right away either, but I love it. Way of the Passive Fist. It's an indie game. We played uh, it at a- PAX? No, we- PSX is where I played it. I, I played it at PAX and PSX. Yeah, yeah, it was there too. Um and it's a game I've been anticipating for a long time. I think it's brilliant. It's it, it's funny that we brought up the TMNT arcade game because it's a throwback to those side-scrolling brawlers like uh, like TMNT or or X Men or uh, Punisher, um, Punisher, yeah, yeah, uh, Golden Axe, any of those games. Um, but the hook here is that you play a character who is a pacifist and doesn't want to throw any punches and only blocks other people punches. So it's, it's basically blocking all your attackers until they get so tired that you can just push them over with two fingers. Um, so, which I think is brilliant. So it basically turns the game into a rhythm game where you are just trying to time your blocks to uh, the attacks of the, of the enemies. And 
all of the enemies have different kind of rhythms in their in their attacks and different sound cues and animation cues that let you know when their attacks are coming and so it's all about positioning yourself correctly and blocking them in the right rhythm and then and then accruing these these strings of successful blocks without uh, a miss or letting them punch you um so what do you think of it christian so I love the take on the brawler. Um, I love brawlers, as I mentioned, Punisher. And I've been playing, um, before I started playing this game, I've been going back through Turtles in Time and, um, what was the other one I just was just playing? Oh, Wildcats. Jim Lee's Wildcats has a super NES brawler that is, it's so, it's so silly. It's so fun. Um, so I love these brawlers and I love this update to it. And I also like what this game does. <clears throat> excuse me, is that you progress through the level, but each time you get into a combat zone, it, it walls it off. You see how many guys are going to come through, and it's like that part of the stage you've then cleared. And so it creates these checkpoints where you have areas with leaderboards, so it kind of creates a mini Batman Arkham-style uh, combat room through the level where you can replay the same part of the level again, increase your combo, do it better than you did last time, learn the timing of everything, which are also and even award awards like little medals based on your performance inside each of those subsections. Right, right. And so it's like it's very much parsed out like that in a, in a cool way that I feel like brawlers should have done a while ago. It makes sense for the genre. Um, and I really like it. I think you described it really well. All I would add is that it has it's almost like a brawler meets punch out. And that each time a new enemy is introduced, you have to learn their tell or learn what they do and how, how to do it. I love so much of the idea and the execution of the game. I love that it's pixel art. The color palette is fantastic. It's preying on my emotions of like, you know, windswept neon Blade Runner esque. <laughs> uh, like Mad Max. Yeah, it's like Mad Max Wasteland, but with like Blade Runner color palette. There's like purples and yeah. blues. Oh. And the and the characters are so big on the screen. It's really cool. It's like it's even bigger than you would imagine from a Golden Axe. It's like or an arcade game sized. Like it's like X Men arcade. Yeah, almost like or like a Street Fighter almost sized characters. Yeah. Um, the only th- my only complaint, and I'm not sure if you've had this, and it's unfortunately I think kind of a crucial one. I feel like there's a slight delay in my button press. And it, I really? feel just a smidge. I, I feel like it's not as tight as I want it to be. I'm playing wireless on a PlayStation 4, but I haven't had problems before. I feel like there's just a hitch. Did you say you're playing on PC, Jeff? Yeah, I'm playing on PC. I haven't noticed that. I have noticed that the game is friggin' hard. It's hard. It, it, that, uh, that first boss. Did you play that first boss? That first boss is brutal. That's the first boss. I was like, ooh, I don't know if I'm going to finish brutal. this game. <laughs> Yes, I know. But there's all kinds of sliders on difficulty when you start a new game. And I haven't messed with any of those yet, but I think I might have to. Have you have you done any of the sliders? I stuff? haven't yet, but I think if I finish the game, I'm going to have to. I mean, I haven't got to the second boss, um, but that first boss, I was like, there's no way. This is the first boss. Oh, brutal. Brutal. You know that thing where you get to a, a boss and uh, you like you you lose and lose and lose, but you feel like, oh, I know how to I know how to do this. I just can't haven't done it yet that's not this (laughs) i would get to that but the first few times it was like i'm not even hurting this guy i'm not even like he has a big old long health bar and i'm not even doing anything to it but the good news is like the difficulty sliders aren't just easy to hard there's like 
four or five different sliders of, uh, that you can mess with. I haven't really dug into that yet, but I might have to just because the game is kicking my butt. Yeah, like how much damage they do to you, how right. much energy they have before they're fatigued, how fast your combo builds up. Uh, maybe I'll bring it uh, over, Jeff, so you can play on PS4 because I'm curious if it is Jess Mir. I, w- I want to try it on a pro um, to see because I was just a little, a little bummed if that delay wasn't there. Um, and I don't remember it being there at PSX, which is weird. So, but I'm playing it my normal setup and it was just, just a smidge frustrating. Yeah. Really cool game though. Uh, it's called way of the passive fist. It comes out this week. Uh, so it's not out quite yet as you might be listening to this, but it'll be out. I think, uh, this, I uh, maybe next week that it comes out, but it, 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 it it's coming out very soon. So. And yeah, if you love brawlers like I do keep it, it, it I had to re rack. I had to reprogram my brain as I started playing it. Cause it's, it's not. It looks like a brawler, but the way they flipped the script, uh, to use a trite expression, is is genius. And it took me a little while to reprogram my brain and not go try to turtles them. Yeah, and it's and it's got you know trappings of modern games. Like you can you, it's got some role playing game you know mm-hmm. stuff that every game has to have now, where you can you get experience points and you can level up and get new abilities and stuff, which are all things that I like. I'm not saying that's a negative. I think it's a good thing. Um, so it, it is not completely a throwback game, but it is. I think it, it, as you said, flips the script. It does that old kind of game in a really fresh, interesting new way. Mm-hmm. I like it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And hard. you're looking at, you've played something else that flipped its own script, kind of, uh, dismissing yeah. the combat of its past. Oh, uh, okay. You're leading me into talking about Assassin's Creed Origins Discovery Mode, which I have uh, played some of. Played is really the wrong ro- word. I was going to say, do you really play Discovery Mode? Yeah, I mean, depends on your definition of play, I guess. Uh, it's interactive, certainly. Um, this is the new mode that was just released for Assassin's Creed Origins that lets you explore various uh, areas of ancient Egypt and learn about them using the game's uh, engine and in-game assets. So these are really, I think, well put together, well delivered little um, uh, educational walkthroughs. It's like if you go to a, uh, you know, if you go on vacation and you go to Europe or something and you're, you're walking to the Louvre and you get one of those things that you can put in your ear that is a walking tour that'll be like you walk over here and then it's like, oh, this this is the spot where people looked out and saw this thing or whatever. That's how it is, but it's completely inside the game. So you have a character and you can pick smell any of the characters. Smell who I smell. Eat who I eat. <laughs> yeah. You, you, have, you can use any of the character models from the game uh, and you can walk around and you can get on horses and climb buildings and do all the stuff that an Assassin's Creed character would do except assassinate people. Like there's no, there's no way to attack anything. Uh, but you can wander around the environment. It's all open to you. You can go wherever you want. And then you can queue up specific guided tours. And then like a golden trail will be illuminated. And it'll be point to point. And when you mm-hmm. walk to a certain point, it'll it'll like change the camera and raise the camera up and show you a specific thing and tell you about the great library of Alexandria, for example. And, and show you actual pictures that the designers used to recreate it and give you some context and some historical um, points of interest and things, you know, anecdotes and stuff. It's really cool, man. It's really, it's something I've been clamoring for from an Assassin's Creed for a decade because they create these uh, real places and they do such an amazing job of making it accurate, historically accurate. I love the fact that now I can see, and the cool thing, like for example, as I mentioned, the um, library of Alexandria, 
we don't really know exactly how it looked. And they're really honest about that. Like the, the discovery mode says the designers, you know, based this on a different library because we don't know very much about it. And it's really cool. It, it, it's not only historically interesting. It's also an interest in interesting insight into how a video game like this is put together because you find out what these designers, how much research went into it and, how much uh, guesswork had to go into it as well and where those two things overlap and meet. Uh, it's fascinating. I totally applaud them for doing it. It makes me appreciate all the work that went into Assassin's Creed Origins on a different level. It's an extraordinarily large game world that has so much in it and so much cool history in it. And I think it's a new way to appreciate all the work they did and also appreciate our own human history i i'm i'm very impressed with it that's awesome yeah i haven't dove in yet but i need to and and you've double dipped on this game so (laughs) yeah i bought it twice i bought it on uh, on pc and then again on xbox one x to to you know check it out on on that system because it was sort of like the launch title but um i do think the next step for this and i know you guys are gonna laugh when i say this but the next step for this is is vr right that's that's what I really want is, and I think that's where we're headed. Like discovery is mode get, VR or the full Assassin's Creed VR? Well, both, but I'm, I'm mostly talking about the former in the sense that being able to walk, once we get games that are as detailed and expansive as Assassin's Creed Origins is in VR, and then to be able to just wander around that world at scale and you know, feel like I'm actually there wandering through the pyramids. It's cool to do it with an avatar on a 2d surface in, in this game, because the game is so detailed and graphically interesting and all that stuff. But when I'm actually able to feel like I'm inside that world, that's just, I think that's going to change how people learn things. It's going to feel yeah, like but how does Ubisoft get a VR headset and enough homes to make uh, that viable. I don't think that's going to be a problem in 10 years. I really don't. I think that's going to be, I think my kid is going to think it was weird that I used to play video games on a 2d surface. I, I really believe that, but we'll find out. We'll find out. 10 uh, years. That means 10 to. years. That's a, that'd be, I'm back on the show in 10 years. <laughs> you got it. We'll, we'll mark it down. I'll get a Google calendar. We'll do it. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I also I'm want to talk about, forward to it. <laughs> I also want to talk about into the breach which is the new game from the makers of FTL. I played a lot of FTL and loved it. And I was very highly anticipating Into the Breach's launch. Into the Breach sadly has only come out on PC thus far, um, even though FTL came out on everything. And I think I played it most on my iPad. But it was a staggered but, release. FTL didn't drop on everything. It w- right, but they yeah, say there's I was going to no- say, I remember playing that on my iDevice as well. But they say there's no intention to bring into the breach on anything other than PC at the oh, moment. Oh. I don't know if they're just holding off on a big announcement about that, but uh, they say they're not working on it. They're, they, they're going to bring it to Linux. But other than that, they have no plans for yes. consoles or mobile. Finally, I can take it with me on Linux. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense because the game is as sort of simplistic graphically as FTL was in, in a sense. You know, It seems like it would be – it wouldn't be taxing to mobile devices. Whatever the case, uh, I'm really enjoying Into the Breach it, in the same sense that FTL was this sort of roguelike, uh, how far can you get push your luck type experience. So too is Into the Breach. In Into the Breach, uh, you play, uh, you control three mechs and uh, you play on a series of eight by eight grids that are presented isometrically. 
And this is a pure strategy game, as pure a strategy game as I've played in a long, long time. And what I mean by that is it, this would work as a board game. I mean, it is a board game. It is completely a board game that you play on a computer. Um, and I love it for that. It is uh, almost like uh, mech chess. <laughs> you drop your three mechs onto this eight by eight grid that is uh, an abstraction of a city or something that is under siege from giant space bugs. Those space bugs, you have to defend the city. So they are threatening various uh, squares that have buildings on them. And you have to figure out a way to, def to defeat those bugs and basically survive a number of turns. It's almost always four or five turns. And uh, the bugs can attack you, your mechs, or it can attack buildings. And what you're doing is using a variety of attacks that you have on these, these different kinds of mechs to uh, push the bugs into a different square so that the attack that you saw them queue up misses. So basically if a, a bug is going to attack something that is in the square adjacent to it, you see that you see them queuing up to attack that adjacent square and you can either try to kill that bug or more likely your attack won't do enough damage to it to kill it outright. So what you want to do is use your attack to push it into a square where it, then is still attacking the square adjacent to it, but now the square adjacent to it isn't a building anymore. So it's a, an attack that doesn't do any damage. Um, and that's really the entire game. You can push and pull these, these, um, these enemies around the grid. You can push them off into water squares or onto flaming squares to, to d damage them. And you can try to put yourself in between them and the thing you're defending. And there's a bunch of different, uh, attacks that you can unlock and different mech pilots that give you certain bonuses that you can unlock. And you're trying to push your luck as far as you can. And um, there are a number of different islands that have a number, number of different sectors in them that all have different layouts and side objectives that you're trying to uh, uh, tick off as you, as you complete those areas. And once and the, the more objectives that you complete, as you beat that section, the more bonus points you have to spend on new upgrades as you go. And some of those upgrades can carry over into new games. So you're over and over and over in a very roguelike way, building up this cadre of uh, unlocks and new pilots that you can use uh, from game to game. The biggest difference between this and FTL, and the thing I want to bring up to you guys is... I played FTL a lot. I don't know if either of you did, but I don't think I'm 99% sure I never finished the game. I just kept going and going and going and then died later and later in the game, but I never finished it. And that was fine because that's kind of what it was. It was just like, how far can you get before you get obliterated? I know there are people that finished it. I just wasn't one of them. But Into the Breach, on the other hand, uh, you can finish in like an hour. And you'll see credits, like you're done. But you can you go back and stuff carries over and it's all about repeating the experience, unlocking new things, challenging yourself. I had a two-island complete and you can do a three-island complete or a four-island complete. So it's all about challenging yourself to see how far you can get, how many points you can accrue, how many civilians you can save before you finish the game. And I wonder what you guys think is the more interesting approach because I find myself 
I'm conflicted because I feel like on one hand, like the reason I would, I play these games, uh, slay the spire or, uh, rogue legacy or all the games or, um, uh, dead cells, all the games that have gotten their hooks into me that have this sort of roguelike mechanic. Part of the thing that keeps me coming back for more is getting to see something new, getting to get a little farther, see a new boss, get to a new level, uh, unlock a new thing. And yes, there are unlocks that happen in Into the Breach, but the fact that I saw credits kind of disincentivizes me to keep going. But on the other hand, I kind of like the fact that it, it makes me feel good. Like I did it. I did good. I can keep going and I can challenge myself, but the game isn't being completely brutal and unnecessarily difficult just to extend the experience. So what do you guys think? I know Stuart, you have voiced the fact that you don't really like roguelikes in general, but I generally don't. I do like, so it sounds to me like into the breach, unlike FTL is FTL was sort of twitchy. You had to, it was re you know, reflex, a lot of reflex, got to go over here, go over here, go over here, get this, get this, move this and speed and being on your toes. The way you were making it to the breach sound is it's more turn-based. It's pure turn-based. Yes. Pure. It's, it's turn-based. It's not about speed and reflex. It's more about thought and intention. Right. It's a puzzle. And each, each level is really a puzzle and that's what I love about it. So there's something about that that actually is attractive to me. Cause I'm, I'm also slow and intentional. <laughs> so, uh, I, I think, and as you said, you know, it's like a board game. And do you, if you played a board game once for an hour and then you're done with it, do you never play it again? Or would you play it again just to see how, uh, I guess the question is, are there different, how many different ways are there to solve this puzzle? And is that why the game is so short? Well, it's in the same way that FTL is and a lot of these games are. It's all procedurally generated. So there's theoretically infinite ways that the puzzle presents itself, right? Um, because every level, the layout is going to be slightly different. The bugs are going to be in slightly different places doing slightly different things. And so it's never going to be exactly the same way twice. And that's the same as a board game that has chance or dice rolls or whatever. You know, it's it's it, it's similar in that sense, and there are new unlocks to be, new challenges to, to overcome, new things to do, new achievements to do. So there's always something else to do. It just, at a certain point, you've seen all there really is in the core game rather than these other games where it's like, oh, there's a whole new dungeon or something to, you know. How long did it take you to be like, oh, you know what? I've, I've inched to the breached enough. Well, I'm still playing it. I really like it, uh, but I, I don't have that carrot on the end of the stick like I have with some of the other games of like, oh, man, but there's a whole other dungeon I haven't seen or there's a whole other character class that I haven't unlocked. I, it sounds – see, and, you know, I like the idea of having a game like having that big game, the big game where you're going to see something new, you're going to do something exciting, something you haven't seen before, and you do that, and you do – and then you need to like – have like a little bit of a palate clean cleanser in between and you play a little bit of into the breach or you play, <laughs> you pay 20 minutes of trials or you play, you know, right. uh, something like that where it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a, even uh, like um, Madden 18. And when you're doing one of those uh, quick little side mission things to get like an ultimate card, they have those like, those mm. are actually really good little 20 minute diversions from something much larger 
that you're also playing. Like I'm playing South yeah. Park, which is probably like a 40 hour game. But I don't want to just place one thing for 40 hours straight because I'll probably go insane. I need something in between. And this sounds sort of like a, and I'll play an hour of Into the Breach today. Tonight we're just going to play Into the Breach. That's what we're doing. Yeah, today. it is. It, it's a it's a quick. You know, it can you can scratch it quick, and and I think that's kind of cool. It's another reason why I think it deserves to be on mobile because it's something you can jump into and just do one little section of. Yeah, it uh, sounds like something I'd like to play on the train. Yeah, totally. Uh, do you have a position on this, Christian? Uh, credit placement is an interesting one where it's like. Um, I like seeing credits because I get do get this sense of accomplishment, but I feel like I'd still be playing more Super Mario Odyssey if the credits weren't until all of the right. shines were collected. And instead, I'm like, I beat it. And everyone's like, no, the game's just starting. It'd be like, I forget, are there credits after you beat the campaign of Destiny 2? I don't, but, you know, it's like this thing where it's you get to the point where everybody says the game is air quote, just starting, but that's when you put it down. <laughs> it's like, I did it. I think is, is that just Ooh. an old paradigm that we're stuck in where it's like, Oh, we played it until the end credits. And then I think it is. Yeah. yeah. I think it is. Um, anyway, yeah. it's a but, very good game into the breach. Very good game. 15 bucks. It's great. Yeah. I won't play it, but I'm glad you're liking it. It's so good. Yeah. But fair enough. Cool. All right, uh, I want to talk about uh, the big VR release, uh, Moss. And also, I should have mentioned, we have bonus content again this week. Uh, I had a conversation with Kelly Wallach about uh, upcoming GDC and the uh, the all the independent games that she is uh, at the Indie Mega Booth and all, all that stuff. She's on every year. You guys remember Kelly Wallach. She's a great guest. And we talk again about uh, some of the stuff that she's doing. So stick around for that at the end of the show. But I do want to thank our second sponsor, which is Squarespace. Squarespace is the place if you need anything online, if there's any reason. And what one of us doesn't have a reason to create some sort of online presence. If you haven't done so already, chances are you're going to need one at some point, whether it is a, a blog or a personal portfolio or some project that you're working on, or even a storefront. Squarespace has all the tools you need to create it easily, to showcase your work, to make it look beautiful and unique, make it your own instead of just some cookie cutter thing that you see uh, a million websites look like. And that's because Squarespace starts with great templates. They start with really beautifully, professionally designed templates that you can plug and play uh, right away. But they let you change those around in such an easy way. It's all drag and drop. What you see is what you get. You just plug in the new modules that you need. Just uh, move things around, slide things in, drop in images or text anywhere you want. It's really, really slick. You don't have to have any programming experience. And that's what I love about Squarespace. You can make something beautiful that looks really professional all on your own. They have the tools that make you do it uh, in, in just a very short amount of time. And it's great. And you can try those tools without even having to give them their, your credit card. You can just uh, go to squarespace.com and uh, just mess around with the tools, make the website you want to make. And then once you're ready to actually publish the website, what you do is you plug in our promo code, which is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. You tell him Jeff sent me and then you'll get 10% off. That's pretty cool. Uh, you can start your free trial easily at squarespace.com, but then use that Jeff sent me promo code to get yourself 10% off uh, first purchase of a website or domain. 
It's great. I encourage you to check it out. Everybody's going to need a website, and this is the place to do it. Squarespace.com and the promo code Jeff sent me. Oh, I've been so excited all week for the VR segment of the show because we finally get to talk about Moss, the new PlayStation VR exclusive game from Polyarch. You heard my interview with the designers last week on the show. If you didn't hear that, be sure to go back. It's at the very end as bonus content. But I have been so high on this game ever since E3 last year when it kind of came out of nowhere for me. It was one of my first meetings at E3 last year. And I was just bopping around telling everybody they had to go check out Moss. Uh, I think it is a magical game. uh, And I think the finished product is far exceeded my expectations. It is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those games I think sells VR as a concept uh, instantly to somebody. If you just put them in and have them play 15 minutes of Moss, I think you will understand what makes VR so special. Um, but Christian, I'm curious. I've been all week. I was saying, Christian, play Moss. Have you played Moss yet? Did you play Moss yet? And you kept saying, I'm, I'm planning to. I got it. It's, 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 I downloaded it. I'm ready to go. And I was saying, please play through it in one sitting if you can. I played through it in a sitting. And maybe some people hear that and go, oh, it's just a short game. Yes, it's a short game. But I think uh, playing through it in one sitting is just a spectacular experience. So have you played Moss? Did you finish Moss? And what did you think of it? No, no, no comment yet. Really? <laughs> That's me. Killing me, Spicer. You're killing me. I have not finished it yet. I'm very close. You haven't have... finished it? No, no. How dare you? How dare you come show your face on this podcast? Well, I have an anecdote to tell as part of why I didn't finish it. You were trapped under something for several days? An actual mouse ran on your uh, ran on your foot, and it scared you when it got a little too real. It's true. That's exactly what happened. I was with uh, some colleagues, and I downloaded Moss to the PS4 there, and I started playing, and I was playing some, and I was like, oh, man, this is incredible. They need to see this. And I had a friend come over, and I go, you got to see this. And he tried it, and it was like, immediately, like oh, my God, you got it. And I asked our other friend to come over. He's like, you got to see this. And then my other friend played Moss for 30 minutes and didn't want to stop playing Moss and was having a lot of fun playing Moss. So it wasn't until much later that I had planned on it that I actually got to play Moss, which I think is why I haven't finished it yet. But dude, dude, <laughs> the, the what you didn't describe about the game, and I, I didn't listen to our old E3 thing, so maybe we talked about it there. The way you feel, the way the the world looks, um, and it's like real world stuff, but they've managed to make it feel like a miniature. And it's not just because of your perspective. Like, I feel like it's a very well designed, if you go to, you know, like you see a Christmas display or like my dad's into model railroads, HO scale. So don't even come at me with your other scale (laughs) railroads. Um, And you go to like some of the big shows he's at or like the train club he's a member of. And you see this elaborate display and you're looking at it and you can like turn and look down the tunnel as the train comes through. And the way that Moss gives the sense of, of presence of being, uh, you know, a beautifully detailed miniature that you're kind of looking and interacting with in the way it's very much um, screen-based or board-based. Like each screen, each moment is kind of its own static screen that then, uh, oh God, what's her name? What's your mouse's name? Quill. Quill, thank you. That As Quill, as she runs around in the world, 
um, the environment being static, but for your head movement to look into new areas, to get a better vantage point, to see something this side or the other. And the way she interacts and animates on top of the world is, is truly divine. It, it is so cute the way Quill scampers around and her animations and she's living in this world that, um, feels so realized that uh it's just it's 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 mind-blowing it's 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 incredible if i have a nit to pick it's that some of the combat overstays its welcome and also that's not why i'm there to play the game but um dude i mean i can't say anything else about it other than two friends that don't have psvrs both wanted to buy psvrs after that and a friend who was just checking it out literally sat and played it for 30 40 minutes yeah it's it's a psvr seller for sure and the, the phrase that I always like to use is diorama world, right? It feels like a little diorama that is full of life. And in the interview that I had last week with the guys from Polyarch, the thing they kept coming back to and the thing they said over and over again was how they wanted to reinforce scale. And once they decided they were making a game about a mouse, they understood that they had this ability to use scale to their advantage. And you're absolutely right. It's one thing to create a world that is proportional to a mouse that is already kind of fun and interesting but the fact that this world is the human size world that we're seeing from the perspective of a mouse so for example there is a little village carved out of a tree stump or there are uh these hints at what this fantasy world was like like for example there are uh, helmets of warriors that are rusted and old human, human warriors, human warriors or, that are human size, but warrior. the ma- yeah. mice like have built things inside it because these were cast aside at some long ago battle and abandoned and the mice and the uh, nature and all these other little smaller creatures have sort of just incorporated that into their buildings all of that says so much. It speaks a story all its own in just the design of the world. And it's gorgeous. It's magical. It's storybook. And you're so right. Uh, the other thing that the designers mentioned last week in our discussion was how much they congratulated and, and praised their animators. Just one guy who did all of the animations for Quill. Wow. And you're right. Quill's animations are so far above and beyond what you normally see from a video game, what, what we're seeing so much so prevalent and it's great, but it's very specific is this very realistic sort of mo capped feeling like in an Assassin's Creed or an uncharted these games where the, the movements are very human, very realistic, very fluid. And what you get in, in Moss is a character that moves like a Don Bluth movie or mm-hmm. a Pixar movie. It, 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 expresses character through movement rather than trying to create something realistic the way she'll scamper up. You you tell her to jump and she'll sort of roll and, and scamper up the side of something. Or uh, there are moments where she'll turn and look at you. And there's one moment where you like give her a high five or she'll like, you know, multiple high five moments, Jeff, (laughs) I've given her so many high fives. It's absolutely spectacular. And the thing we kind of haven't mentioned is, is the, the central conceit of the game is you control Quill directly as you would using the DualShock analog sticks, running around the environment, pressing a button to swing her sword, pushing another button to jump, the things you would normally do in an action platformer. But you, 
as this character known as the reader are also present in the game world. You're looking on it and your head is there. If you see a, a, a pond, you can look down in the pond and see a reflection of this reader character's face. And so you're present. You're also there. And Quill interacts with you, talks to you. And you can also interact with the environment. Even as you're moving Quill directly, you can move objects in the environment to solve puzzles. You can interact with the enemies and distract them so Quill can attack them or control them directly. And so often a lot of the fun and challenge of the game is doing two things at once. And you talk about the combat. I found the combat to be absolutely awesome because and not easy i mean this is a storybook game ostensibly the look and feel is is for kids but the the combat rooms that you get into where it's like oh you can't leave here until you beat all the enemies they're challenging they are they are like my palms are sweaty i am in it man and there's a lot of really cool strategies because you're able to uh, interact with them yourself and also control quill and so you're you're kind of having to pat your head and rub your tummy at the same time and it's a completely new kind of way to to play a video game like that. And I just found it to be thrilling and fun. And there's like an action sequence at the end that rivals Uncharted for some of their cinematic action sequences. I mean, I think this game is an absolute home run. Yes, it's only about two or three hours long, but my goodness, what a two or three hours. I think it's worth the price of admission. It's yeah, I great. think you played through it a lot faster than I did. I was in the chat there asking how long it is. I think I'm at three hours and I'm not done. But I'm also I sit in places for a while because it's like the type of game where I look up and I'm like, oh, wow, I, there's a moment and I don't want to spoil it. But I don't even know if you saw it because I wouldn't have seen it had I just watched the action on screen. And I turned my head a different way and saw something happen in the world that in no way was my attention pulled to it that I thought was a really nice, cool moment where I sat there and I was just like, oh, wow. I thought about yelling to get my wife to come. You got to come see this. Um, so I'm, I'm yeah. certainly taking my time through it. But playing this game, I really liked the um, Laura Croft Go and Hitman Go. Um, I played them on Vita and on iOS. And they also have VR versions of those. And it's like little dioramas. But I want to see like that taken the moss like the, the next step like i want an uncharted like this i want a god of war yeah. like this like an old not yeah. new god of war like give me that old school hack and slash but where each level is its own static screen and kratos is running around smashing things i want every game to have their did version you, of this did you play feral rights yes well yeah, not the, I, I mean the that was i played it whenever we saw it uh two years ago whenever uh, that was yeah, I played through that game on Oculus and I mean it is not it doesn't have the sort of I think visual splendor of a moss or a god of war for that matter, but uh it I think it was trying to be that. It was trying to be a god of war mm-hmm. in VR and I think there was a lot of really cool stuff that it did, but I agree with you. That's that's why I'm so high on on the tech because yeah, I want to be inside that world. Yeah, I mean when I played Lucky's Tale, I was like, "Yes, every game needs to be like this. Every game." The, it's okay to play a third person game sitting using a controller in this technology because it is that different. It feels like a completely new way to interact with these worlds. So you're using a you're using a controller in this in Yes, DualShock controller and it tracks the DualShock. So you actually move the the DualShock in 3D space as well, as well and will lean down and and use it to pick things up or rotate things or move things here and there. 
Um, so it's it's using the the tracking on the controller as well as all of the analog and buttons. Cool. My question for you, Jeff, having played certainly more VR than I have, what I feel like this brings to the table that other third-person VR games didn't is that it is truly static screen by screen, whereas if I recall Feral Rights, you kind of pushed through the environment as you did in God of War or um, right. what was Insomniac's Uncharted, the ice game that was really good. Edge of nowhere. Edge of nowhere. It was also you were controlling the camera, and here, right? You said it's dioramas. Every little, th- every world. The only way the camera moves is when you like. There's one board where I stood up to get a vantage point of this thing to go collect the scroll or to see if there was uh, thorns back there. Like the only way I could see yeah, it is by I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, is by yeah. moving my head. And I, I feel like other games haven't done that. Other games, even if it's subtle, tracks your character as you move. And I find this bored, you know, discrete experience, each thing being its own solvable area, a really cool way to handle not only a game presentation, but also um, a friend who played it gets super nauseous, just like in the car and the game didn't make him nauseous because there was no movement that wasn't his own. Several games have done it already, but I agree with you. It's a really cool way of handling it. But uh, there's a game called Kronos that I don't know if you've oh, ever played. Oh, I remember you talking about that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Kronos did that. And it, it kind of was a throwback to the old like Resident Evil 2 where, you know, you walk through a door and then the camera's in the corner, mm. you know, and then you, you walk into a new screen and the camera's, you know, underneath you or whatever. But it's it never moves. The camera's always there. That's the angle on that room. And whenever you walk into that room, that's the angle. Uh, that's how Kronos is as well. And it was always fun because it's like, it felt like your head is now on a table or your head is in the <laughs> upper right hand corner of the broom or your head is, you know, uh, stuck behind this, this thing. And you lean out and look around and stuff, but that's where your head is in this room. Um, and there are several other games that do it a- as well. Um, but you're right. I think that is a really cool way of handling it, especially on PlayStation VR where, I think more likely than even the other headsets, you're seated holding a controller, looking at a, a static, mm-hmm. you know, PlayStation camera. So I think they're very smart about it, and we're going to see more of those games coming out. There's that one. What is that game? A Star or something that we saw oh, at yeah. E3, and, yeah. and I'm really excited about. That's also going to do that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, I. I'm very encouraged. I hope more people play Moss and understand what's so special about it. And I, I'm just so high on the game. It's it's literally like on my you know best games of the year list already. And you know, obviously, we're very early in the year, but and it's a very short game. But man, I, I think you get quality over quantity on this one in a big way. And spoiler alert, I guess, uh, very clearly meant to be an episodic game uh the end very much says you know chapter two coming soon so we'll see black panther again in avengers uh, (laughs) right right right. so uh so i i hope that that the time between chapters uh isn't isn't too long but i mean we've already seen uh great vr episodic games like um call the star seed um do it do it very well so i'm very encouraged by that yeah it's great buy it if you have a psvr buy it it's, I, can't, I, think it's I don't know no-brainer. how else i can put it yeah it is a no-brainer it is if literally if you don't have a psvr this might be a reason to get one and if you do have a psvr there's no reason not to buy it It is an absolutely essential purchase um did you talk about sprint vector last week 
No, we push it. We can. I, I'm okay pushing it again if you want to. If you want to really dive into brass tactics, other people have talked about sprint vector. It's great, um, but I'm, I'm going to continue to play it and have more fun, silly times with it. So I'm okay delaying that if you want to talk about brass tactics. Well, I did want to bring up brass tactics because uh, it's a big uh, Oculus exclusive release, and um, I think it's really, really good. It is a real time strategy game of the type you know you would see in Warcraft or Starcraft. Actually, it's more point to point than those games ever were. Uh, but again, it's 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 a diorama world feeling thing. You're this god, uh, you know, hovering above a battlefield. In fact, the battlefield is abstracted in this game. It very much is a uh, a board. It is a table, and and the game even explicitly says it like this is a table, and you're playing and you're moving your units around this table. Um, but the aesthetic of Brass Tactics, which as you might infer from the title is very much a um, steampunk aesthetic, but it is straight up. I don't want to say ripping off. I will say homage, but I even have a more positive feeling than that. It's more like uh, wish fulfillment. It's straight up the opening of game of Thrones. It's, <laughs> it's that it, you're playing the opening of game of Thrones uh, moving units around that that when you build a new building you know how on the opening of game of thrones like the little paper craft world like erects itself you know as the camera swoops over it that's this game that's brass tactics it is it's super cool and it's super satisfying and um it's very very clever how all of the uh real-time strategy inputs have been mapped to your hands. This isn't a game you play with a controller. This is a game that requires touch controllers on the Oculus. Uh, and you have all of these, uh, you have two hands that look very steampunky and have cool, like, you know, metallic, uh, I don't know, or bracelet or whatever on them. And when you turn your hand palm up, you get a table that manifests inside your hand that has all the buildings you can build. And you like pluck that from the table and place it down on or, you know, pluck that from your hand and place it down onto the table. Um, you can just point at groups of units and, and grab them and point where they're going to go. And then they go over and attack that area. It, you do feel like this grand maestro, this puppeteer of the battlefield. And the way you move around the table, uh, the field of battle is by, you know, grabbing onto the table and pulling it here and there. So you're like pulling yourself around. You can raise and lower the table at any time. It's really cool. I don't think they had the, and probably wisely, they didn't have the, I don't know, I don't want to say guts, but I will say um, they, they weren't foolish enough to make the game quite as intense and, uh, you know, uh, inputs per minute, inputs per second, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that? A, 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 APM, actions per minute is the big uh, esports term it is not requiring that level of, of micromanagement that you might find in a Starcraft or a big real time strategy game. And I think that's probably for the best because this is a completely new kind of way to interact with a, with a game like this. Um, so the game I think is a little more forgiving and a little less micromanagey, right? There are a few units where you can do specific things with them, micromanage them in certain ways. But for the most part, you're just kind of this grand God, you know, casting your, your things into different areas. Um, but it looks awesome. The aesthetic is so, so satisfying and the game really plays fun too. 
Uh, and there's a multiplayer mode I haven't really, really jumped into, but it's cool. I mean, it's, it's proof that even real-time strategy benefits. I mean, I knew that from Dino Frontier, right? I've been trumpeting Dino Frontier for a long time, but it's nice seeing this uh, on Oculus where it can really shine graphically and have that fine-tuned um, touch controller input. Mm-hmm. It's great. Cool. It's Brass Tactics. That's right. It's Oculus exclusive for the moment. Cool. All right. Uh, let's wrap things up. I do have one more sponsor to talk about, and that is Blue Apron. I don't want to say it's my favorite sponsor, but Christian, it's my favorite sponsor. You know that. Uh, it's because I use Blue Apron every week. My wife and I, it people, changed our lives. People need hmm? to know that you and I text about Blue Apron just just, just normally. <laughs> we literally text about Blue Apron. That is very true. Uh, we did quite a lot this week. Uh, what did I make tonight? I made a uh, chicken drumsticks um, with, uh, with a, a delicious vegetable peppers and zucchini. Uh, and potatoes, roasted potatoes that had like this cool spice on them. The drumsticks, listen, this is the kind of thing that I do because I have Blue Apron that I would not do if I was just me making food for myself. The drumsticks, like you saute them in a pan first for just a a few minutes and then you put them in the oven. So they have that cool like uh, browned, uh, I don't know what you would call it, pan sauteed look and then you – and then you bake them oh, so good. And then you make the sauce. I love blue apron. It makes me eat so much better than I normally would. I eat healthier. The portions are perfect. It's just so great for my wife. And I'm like developing a skill of being a, a, a cook. I know how to chop things. Like every time I chop things, I get a little bit better at it. And the fact that Blue Apron doesn't make me have to go to the grocery store and buy all the ingredients for these meals or even decide what to make, that is the thing that has been such a an impediment to me doing this in the past is like figuring out what the menu is going to be for, for myself and my wife. Now, Blue Apron gives me these choices. I, I get these amazing meals and I get to go in on their website and go, oh, yeah, that one. Oh, that one. Oh, yeah, that one. And then they show up and it's just the amount of the ingredients that I need. It has changed my life. My wife and I eat so much better and we look forward to it. That's even the best part is it's like the best part of my evening when I get to make my Blue Apron. Plus, it's more affordable than going out and it's more affordable than buying a bunch of ingredients for stuff and throwing half of it away because you only made it once. Guess what? We're going to make it even more affordable because we're going to give you $30 off your first order when you visit blueapron.com slash DLC. Be sure to have that slash DLC so they know you heard about it here. Blueapron.com slash DLC. Check it out. These are delicious meals. These are uh, healthy meals. And I think, honestly, you're going to love it. I have heard from so many people that tried Blue Apron because of me talking about it so effusively. I believe in it. I've told everybody in my life about it. Uh, people sent, really, really dig it. Check it out. Blueapron.com slash DLC. All right, guys. Uh, that is going to do it. Remember, we have our parting gift coming up. And after that, my interview with Kelly Wallach from the IGF and the Indie Mega Booth talking about some of the really cool independent games and some of the stuff that she's doing uh, for the Independent Games Festival, both at GDC and upcoming PAXs and her talk. It's a, it's a really cool inter- interview. She's an awesome person. So don't miss that either. But uh, Stuart Noct, thank you so much for being here, sir. Uh, it's been such a pleasure having you. 
The pleasure was all mine. I hope to do it again. How dare you take all the pleasure for yourself? <laughs> That's what I'm Not good at. All yours. <laughs> um, I uh, I'd love you to tell people where they can keep up with you on the internet and hear you talk more about video games. Sure, you can follow me on the Twitters at New Wombat, and you can download the CADcast C A G C A S T every Friday. I'll say Friday because it's probably when it'll be out on your favorite podcast listening app or device. So there you go. GPSGamer.com is the site. CADcast is the show. Excellent. Love it. We're, we're fans. We are big fans. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? Well, Stuart didn't give himself enough credit. I mean, CADcast is OG, you know, like they are, they are OG. So I'll give them pioneer. I believe I'm contractually obligated to call him a pioneer. <laughs> yes. Podcasting. Pioneer. Uh, yes. For real. Uh, they're great. So check out that show. Um, I will be headlining Lestats in San Diego on Tuesday. If you are there, no someone's there. It's at 9 p.m. Um, the stats on Adams Avenue. It's the first time I'm trying to put together my next big chunk and see see where this current hour is. You'll just you'll never get that show at Nosferatu's, huh? No, I keep trying, and it just never. Uh, I am featuring at Bram Stroker's, but it's just not. Um, <laughs> it's not the same. It's not the same. It's the Keanu Reeves <laughs> Bram Stroker's, so it's not. It, I think it's cool that you're at Lestats because it's the sexy vampire. Yeah, I mean, as it should be. Um, Right. Uh, that's Tuesday at 9 p.m. And then I think March 24th, I'm in L.A. for a thing that I know about right now at Flappers. I think it's the 24th. And a lot of L.A. stuff is kind of week to week. Uh, but this week's ALTMM is about the Switch's one-year anniversary. You can check that out. Last week's <laughs> was about why I think VR is dead. Um, I stand by that. You can <laughs> listen to that unless you're Jeff Kanata. And uh, Wait a second. <laughs> Hold on a daggum minute, sir. Yeah. VR is dead. It was your ALTMM last yeah. week. And then this week you're like, buy Moss. In no, fact, I, I said if you have a PSVR, you should buy Moss. You said you should buy a PSVR. <laughs> and you tacitly agreed. No, I, uh, I like, I love VR. I do not regret my purchases to summarize ALTMM. Right. Uh, so what you're saying is you deserve <laughs> VR, but no one else does. I'm saying... It is an it's an alt mm. <laughs> I'm saying it'll never be mainstream. It'll never take off. In ten years from now, when we finally have Stuart back on this show, we will look back at VR as a mere speed bump toward bigger and, and greater augmented experiences. Laughing, laughing at you, Jeff. Just laughing. <laughs> Just an hour of us. Hey. Going, ah, ah, ah. Oh, and he played the game with the mouse. Ah, ah, ah. Oh. Ah, oh. <laughs> Uh, when we're sitting in our in our bomb shelters and uh with our eating our canned food and we're like oh the time remember we had we had such a rosy view of this time it was gonna be great our heart tax uh, that's when we need VR right. the most though so maybe i'm wrong um <laughs> i i want to be very clear that i'm not saying that vr will beat ar i i, I put them in the same bucket <laughs> okay they're not. They're 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 of a kind. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking I, in I relationship agree, to yeah. two I think some games. form of reality will be very popular in ten years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah. you. I rest my case. Reality. Yeah. I'm doubling down on. Yeah. Same page. And then this week's Department of Parenting. Uh, we bury the lead and we chit chat for a whole bunch. Chris talks about some of the iPad games he's been playing and then drops the real news like 15 minutes in that will drop on Wednesday, or you can find the video of it now on Facebook at department of parenting. 
Jeff, aside from enjoying all forms of reality, all realities matter to you, Jeff. Um, what do you have going on this week? Yeah, most doesn't do. Um, I've got several other shows for you to check out, including the Slash Filmcast, where we talk about movies and TV shows. Uh, and um, we, this week, I believe, are talking about, oh yes, we're talking about Red Sparrow, the new Jennifer Lawrence film. So check that out over at slashfilmcast.com. Um, I thought maybe I could drop who won best picture right now, but it looks like it's still going on. Still going on as we were recording. Um, I also do a comedy science show that I would love for you to check out. It's only 20 minutes or less. And I believe you will both learn something and have a laugh. You can check that out over at wehaveconcerns.com. And you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Canada. Also, please don't hesitate to send us any feedback that you might have about this show or any questions you have or comments. We can get that by, uh, if you send it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's the web uh, email address to use. Web email. That's what people call it. Yes, indeed. I'm just trying to find out all the information about the Oscars here. All right. Enough of that. Let us get now to our parting gift. Stuart, do you have a suggestion for people that might not be a video game to help them get through their week? Mm, I watched Murder on the Orient Express with my wife oh, the other night. The new That's one, good, right? The, the, the new remake. The new one, yeah. It's a good movie to sit and watch with. It's a good date movie. That's my oh, advice. It's it's it. not it's not like it, it going to change the world or anything. But if you're looking to like a good like cuddle, cuddle under a blanket movie, nice. I'm going to say Murder on the Orient Express. How's that Branagh stash? It's pretty wild, yeah. actually. But you kind of get used to it after a while. I think I we it took us a while to kind of figure out what his you know because I Kenneth Brown is a very good director and why the big crazy mustache and it's interesting because it's a very like gray steel gray hmm. and it makes his eyes which are very blue pop ah. and I'm thinking that's what he was going for that old mustache pop yeah stash so, pop stash, stash pop. pop. Mm-hmm. Well done. I, uh, I'm very excited to see that. I missed it in theaters, and I'm a huge fan of him, and I love that cast, and I love mysteries in general. So I'm, I've been meaning to uh, watch it. Is it out on some sort of streaming service now? Yeah, we rented time? it. We uh, had a free rental. So I'm like, oh, uh, let's use our free rental on this. So Excellent. Mm-hmm. Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, Christian Spicer, how about you? You got a parting gift for the people? Yeah, this is video games, but I, I, I we talk about it a lot on this show, but I actually spent maybe an hour with it again. Um Guys, we talk about it for a reason. Tetris is so good. Go play it again. Oh, my God. Have, when was the last time you played it, Jeff? Have, when was the last time you really sat Tetris, down and played Tetris? Actually played Tetris? It's been a while. That's a, that's a very good point. It's, good, it's been a while. It is uh, objectively the greatest video game of all time. It's objectively. So, it's so good. Play it on anything that's not a touch screen and just, uh, man, I, I got into the zone, not like by real Tetris standards, but like for me, standards got into the zone and time just flew by, which, yeah, uh Maybe don't play Tetris. <laughs> I was just gonna say, that's not what I want. <laughs> I don't want time to fly by anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, we have a listener suggested parting gift. This was sent to us 
by Jordan Cohen at dlcfeedback at gmail.com where you can send in your parting gifts. And I encourage you to do so if you have a recommendation you'd like to share with the community. Jordan says, hey, guys, you talked a bit about the Dice Awards but didn't mention probably the best part of Dice. Phil Spencer's uh, keynote, he said Phil Spencer gave such a great talk about harassment and toxicity in gaming, how the industry can and needs to address it, and other related topics. He also openly addressed the Xbox Rocky launch and many other related topics. It really reinforced DLCs, think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place message. Thanks, Jordan. I appreciate that. I did watch Phil Spencer's keynote, and it is really good. I would definitely co-sign on your recommendation. It's available on YouTube. So all you got to do is search for Phil Spencer Dice, and I'm sure you'll be able to find it. It's worth watching, about 45 minutes long. Uh, Very, very good. So thanks for that recommendation. My parting gift, uh, I mentioned it earlier in the show, but uh, I've been watching that Queer Eye for the Straight Guy reboot. It's just Queer Eye now. Oh, is that so? Mm-hmm. I guess I didn't watch the titles very closely. Um, yeah, the Queer Eye reboot that's on the Netflix. Uh, did you have you watched it, Christian? Uh, I only cried during the first episode so far. Yeah. I'm excited to cry through the rest. It is uh, delightful. It is. It is. It is definitely a full of positivity. Although there's a part of me that's a little conflicted about like buy things and make yourself feel better, but. Uh, it, but it is, it is, a, it is delightful. And I think that the people that they have selected, uh, kudos to the producers because the people they have selected are, are just, uh, just lovely people. Yeah. Yeah. It's really well done. It's really well done. It is. So check that out on Netflix. All right. As I said, we do have bonus content coming up, but for the main show, that is it. Thanks again to Stuart Noct and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room. Although, Many fewer of you this week. I appreciate you, the diehards that are here watching because it was opposite the Oscars. Uh, we, we appreciate you hanging out with us, making the show better in real time. And thank you to all of you who download the show and listen to it. We really do appreciate it. You are uh, the wind beneath our wings. And thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making all those cool bumpers. We will be back next week. Until then... Think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. I am so pleased to welcome Kelly Wallach back to the show. Kelly is the Indie Booth, Indie Mega Booth founder and the IGF chairman. She has been on our show several times, and I'm so excited to talk to you once again, Kelly. Welcome back. Yeah, it's always great to to be on board. So thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So you have a lot of stuff stuff coming up, and uh, including GDC and the Indie yes. Mega Booth uh, being there. So tell me a little bit about your plans and what we can expect uh, out of GDC in just a few weeks. Yeah, so just, we've, uh, actually uh, a week at this point. Yeah, um, yeah. So we're going to be making our announcement. I think it'll be it'll be out by the time that this podcast is airing. So I can talk a little bit about that. Um, but we have been doing our showcase at GDC for. Oh man, I want to say maybe this is like our fourth or fifth year that we've been doing it. And it's been great working with, uh, with the team there. And we're actually doubling the number of games that we have this year. So wow. it's very exciting. Um, yeah, because the show, you know, it's an entire week long and it's, it's a, it's a good, it could be tough for teams to do that, you know, all on their own for the entire week. And we wanted to give more people an opportunity. Uh, our GDC showcase is kind of one of my, one of my favorites that we do because it's nice that we get to pick games and bring developers who might not get an opportunity to go to GDC and they can get feedback from other developers. And it's just kind of a fun, it's a fun show for us to curate. So 
instead of 12 games, which is what we had last year, we're going to have 24 games. Um, and we're going to have 12 on Monday, Tuesday, and then we'll have a second set on the Wednesday to Friday. Um, and we're up on the third floor of Moscone West. That is awesome. It's always one of my favorite parts of GDC as well. These games are always so exciting and fresh and interesting and unique. Um, and I, I love how you do it too. Instead of it just being this jam packed, crammed booth yeah. full of too many games to see, it's a few days of these games and a few days of those games. I feel like it gives more games a chance to shine and, and be in their, their own spotlight. Yeah, exactly. And we also, um, last year was the first year we kind of changed around like the physical space as well, too. So we do a little more like a kind of like a living room feel where we have like couches and beanbag chairs and TVs and coffee tables, which, you know, if I if I had my way for the look of every single showcase, I think it would be something a little more like this, like the kind of feel that you get of like you just went to your friend's house and you're checking out a cool game as opposed to like the kind of, you know, skirted table conference conference right. look which is uh <laughs> which is all too familiar for a lot of shows <laughs> <laughs> right a little, little sterile um yeah what, what can we expect from some of the games that will be at the show this year um yeah so we, we have like i mean we have a lot more games this time which is really cool um we also have a couple games that are going to be announced for uh the very first time which is going to be really cool um so a new game from uh cyan called uh, firmament um, and then also uh, One Finger Death Punch 2. Uh, so those oh. will be some exciting first playable, you know, sneak peek games. Um, yeah, and then we also have a couple, like, uh, there's actually some games that we've shown in the past at the Mega Booth, but, like, new versions of them. Uh, one of the ones that I thought was, like, it's a kind of fun, weird game is uh, Astronaut the Best, which uh, we showed in the mini booth a few years ago. And it's just, I like weird things and weird games and weird people. It's kind of my jam. Um, and this is <laughs> this is up there uh, for sure. Um, and then uh, Functronic Labs, actually, uh, which has made a bunch of cool games in the past. Uh, they're going to be showing uh, Stair Bar Taxi, uh, which is a pretty cool game uh. as well, too. So, you know, aside from that, we have um, a bunch of really cool stuff. Uh, Guacamole 2 will be there. Uh, Million Under Million Onion Hotel, uh, which is something that we've seen at Bit Summit before as well, too. Malaco, um, which is a team from Mexico that we love working with, and they're really rad. So, yeah. And then just, you know, tons of other great stuff. So, yeah, if you get a chance, like, and you're at GDC, any any expo badge holders can come and see it. It's Monday through Friday. We'll have the new stuff switching over on Wednesday. So definitely come back and chill and hang out and check out all the games. That's awesome. I just I just did a quick Google search for astronaut the best because I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't familiar with it, and it looks wonderfully bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> it looks kind of like a like John Chris Feluz. Uh, animated a uh, guy from Ren and Stimpy. Oh, yeah, it's it uh, really it yeah, and it's kind of like yeah. you're you're competing. I think it's like a, a cosmonaut program, but you're like competing to be an astronaut by like doing weird things, like going on talk shows and not freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So tell me about. I mean, we've discussed this in in previous uh, appearances that you've had on a show, but I, I think it bears uh, revisiting. Tell me about the process of of selecting some of these games and. It, is the fact that you're doubling the number of games this year a result of just how many great submissions that you have every year, how many great contenders there are? Yeah. I mean, so the way our submission process works is we open submissions twice a year. Um, so we'll be opening them again for kind of like fall showcases um, pretty much after PAX East. So probably sometime in like late April, early May. Uh, and then we have a whole kind of complicated long process, which I've written about on our, on our website before, um, it's under like a series of blog posts called All About Submissions, which I really do need to update because it's it's been a few years, but the process is essentially the same. But we spend 
man, we have like 30 or so judges that go through and play all the games. And then we have um, a small group of maybe like four or five of us that go through and make the final selections. And we get a couple hundred submissions per round. And like, we play through essentially every single game, we sit down and we talk through them all. Um, We discuss like what would be beneficial for the team, like what show is a good fit? What do the developers want? What are they looking to get out of it? What do we think fans will want? Um, You know, what works for specific showcases? And so when we have situations like we have submissions that are open for GDC and PAX, um, we have, you know, teams that want to be at one show or the other for particular reasons. And since GDC is really like, it's kind of like a springboard, I think, for a lot of developers to make the kind of business connections that they need and to go to the talks and kind of have a sharing of the minds. And so in a lot of ways, like being able to give people this extra opportunity to us is really important. And not only is it good for the developers, but it's also good for folks who are attending GDC to be able to talk to people who are making interesting stuff and learn about them and, you know, find ways that they can work together in the future. So in some ways, it's it's because the demand is high, but it's also because, you know, we just want to show all the cool stuff that we possibly can in as many places as we can. Yeah, that's great. And yeah. is there anything you noticed this year uh, in, in contrast to previous years, any trends or um, the kinds of submissions you got or the kinds of games you selected? Is there is there something to be drawn from any of that? Um, you know, like in some ways, like IGF kind of reflects that pretty well. Like I feel like it kind of shifts back and forth where like one year it's like these were the kind of big hits and like the breakout hits. And then and then the, maybe the next year it's a little more like, OK, these are like the creative endeavors. And I really feel like I, I kind of hate to say it, but it's like I feel like we had really well-rounded kind of like batch of games that were submitted this year. And I saw it reflected in IGF as well. I just think that there's so much interesting stuff and there's people trying new things and i think in some ways like there's a lot of creativity out there and it's getting i think it's a little easier for developers to find their niche audiences and even though there's a lot of discoverability and kind of oversaturation and some like platforms and distribution things but there's still ways to like narrow in on just like man i really 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 love city builders which is me personally that's me saying that um (laughs) or like man i really love vr games or man i really love like strategy games and like man, you can really find it. Like just, there's so much cool stuff out there. So I think yeah. just yeah, the overall quality and the creativity, I just think every year it just gets better and better and more and more interesting. I totally agree. It feels like, especially the last three years, there's just been this yeah. explosion of, of just interesting stuff. And the, and the sort of median level of quality is so much higher than yes. ever before. Uh, and so many people are trying to express such different kinds of ideas in inside the medium of video games. I just find it to be thrilling. Yeah. And I think like a little while ago, I mean, especially when, you know, people like kind of the beginning of the indie apocalypse and all that, you know, in some ways it had the, <laughs> the kind of gold rush where it's like, Ooh, there's like all this interesting stuff happening. And you know, what is this games thing? And can I get into it? And so you see a rush of content, but the quality level isn't necessarily there. Cause it's, right. it's a lot of new people or it's a lot of people who are just kind of flocking to it because it seems like it's interesting at the moment. And I think that that's kind of settled down a bit. And so now it's like you do, you still see a large variety and you still see a lot of different content, but I think the people who are are with it and sticking with it and, you know, making a real go of it. It's like the the quality level is really there. Like people have been growing, the community has been maturing, you know, games have been maturing in general as well too. And it's like, I really feel like we're starting to see that reflected in the games that are coming out. Do you think there needs to be a revolution in the, in distribution? Do you think that steam is doing a good enough job or is there somebody else that needs to, or some change that needs to happen to surface more of these games? 
Yeah, I mean, and this is actually, yeah, that's kind of a semi-loaded question for me to answer. But I, I do say, yes, <laughs> I think that there needs to be some sort of revolution in it in some way. And in, in a lot of ways, like the work that we're starting to do with things like the mega show and stuff that we're going to be announcing and working on this upcoming year is really to address that sort of stuff is, you know, like there are a lot of still issues with discoverability. And I am obviously a really strong proponent of curation. And I think that that's very important. And it's difficult to automate that sort of stuff. You know, it seems like it, it would be a good idea. But really, like, when it comes down to it, like taste and aesthetic and like, you know, the kind of idea of like, you know, it when you see it, like, if you have an eye for it, and you really understand it, and you really understand the community and the needs and and what fans are interested in, it, it's hard to it's hard to say that you can just you know have a computer do that for you, or you can find an algorithm that's going to be able to kind of like understand the it factor in some way. Um, so I really think that like having curated showcases like this, and you know having GDC recognize that this sort of stuff is important. Like we're not the only interactive space there. There's bunches of other interactive spaces, um, and there's a lot of people I think that are addressing this issue. And I think that developers and fans are starting to really recognize that. Yeah, curation is important and having an eye for that stuff is important and being able to say like, hey, here's quality, interesting content and things that we think you're going to like is is pretty much, I think, what is going to have to be the way of the future and, and not even just in games. I mean, I think that this is like in, in tech in general, you know, you see it yeah. on things like Facebook and social media and and all that, you know, not to go down yeah. the giant rabbit hole of a <laughs> right. of, all, of that whole conversation. But yeah, I, I for sure think that it's needed and I think it's coming and I think there's people working on it. Yeah, no, you definitely make good points. And I, I definitely think the uh, just the Indie Mega Booth in general is proof of that point, right? It's yeah. generated or, well, it's earned a reputation uh, and it's my, my first stop at a conference like this because I know – that everything there is going to be really interesting and really diverse. And, you know, it's, it, it has, it has its own momentum, you know, because I, and I know what to expect. I have a level of quality that I, that I, you know, can rely on from, from somebody like yourself, the group that you've put together curating these games. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, and we put a lot of work into it. I mean, it is not a easy task to do this stuff, which is why, you know, I can't be tempting to want to automate it. And, you know, just as like a kind of rough estimate, I mean, it probably takes us close to about three months um, to be able to go through all the games, really review the judge feedback to make the decisions. And that's, that's also true of, of things like IGF as well. Like it's not, it's very labor intensive to do that, but I think that the rewards are are really high. And if you do it and you're consistent with it over the long run, then yeah, people understand and they see the quality level. And so then, you know, that's the importance of the brand recognition and stuff as well, too, is like you see the Indie Mega Booth and you go, okay, I know that this is hitting a quality level or the teams are hitting a quality level or the games are going to hit some sort of like interesting point. And like, yeah, I think that's incredibly important and very valuable for like for us and the developers and fans. Yeah. And you are just getting started. This is the, you know, your year is just ramping up, right? We're here we are in February thinking, uh, oh my gosh, the, <laughs> we've got to start thinking about the summer. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, wild. Uh, because you are, you're not, you know, there's probably uh, only a small percentage of people listening to this that actually would go to GDC, but you'll also be present at much bigger events like PAX Eats. East is coming up uh, yep. next for you, right? Yeah. And so that is, uh, I think it's April 5th to 9th this year. So they expanded it to four days, um, which is similar to PAX West as well. But yeah, I'd say about about now, it's like we really hit the ground running in January to like wrap up our submissions process and finalize the game selections. And then, yeah, it's GDC, it's PAX East, um, Bit Summit is in May, and then it's E3. And, you know, it's it just kind of keeps going until about like, you know, October or so until we all go... <gasps> 
Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you did a couple months of couple months of freaking out about the holidays, and then yeah, you're back in it. Yeah, yep, yep. And we still we still are reviewing games around that time as well, too. And that's when the IGF kicks off, you know. So it's like this right. is kind of the the very, very, very end of the calm before the storm. <laughs> so uh, tell me a little bit about what people can expect from PAX East, because I suspect more people listening to this will be at that event than even at GDC. Yeah, so PAX East, um, so I can't tease too much about the announcement, but we're going to be having that. That'll be slightly after this podcast airs, so keep an eye out. Um, but we'll be coming back, you know, with about a similar amount of games that we've had in the past, which we've kind of been sitting around like 75 to 80 games. Um, that includes our tabletop section and the mini booth area, which we do something similar like we do, like we're doing now with the GDC showcase where it switches. Um, so two days into the show, we'll switch out for a new batch of games. Um, and then we have the regular mega booth area as well too. And like I said, I mean, I'm just like every year it's just, there's so, there's so many good games and there's so much good stuff out there. Um, and I'm just really proud of the community that we've been able to build and, you know, the stuff that people send us, it's like, I'm just continually impressed by it. So I'm, I'm really happy with our GDC and our PAX East lineup. So, um, and we're also doing some cool merchandise and stuff again this year, which our theme for the year is a uh, cyberpunk uh, which is a theme that I've been oh, wanting to cool. do for a while. So we're going to have uh, some some rad new merchandise, yeah, and some cool uh, t-shirts and hats and stuff. So I've been uh, looking forward looking forward to that part as well. That's kind of where we get to flex our creative fingers a little bit. <laughs> That's rad. Uh, I also heard you're giving a talk at the East Coast Game Conference in North Carolina. Oh yeah, yeah. So that'll be um, that'll actually be like a week or two after that. So yeah, if anyone's in North Carolina or they're in that area and they're coming out for East Coast Game Conference, um, I'm actually going to be talking. This is a talk that I've given in a couple different places, and it's about best practices for showcasing your games to the public. Um, I'm not very good at making snazzy titles. So we have a panel at PAX East, actually, <laughs> which um, which I had Teresa help me name because I'm just the last time that we did it, it was my my naming skills are not so great. Um, but the panel, <laughs> the panel at PAX East is basically about um, like bridging divides between different cultures and different kinds of communities. And so bringing together like kind of a really like like diverse group of people that we work with for these shows who manage communities, um, you know, all over the world um, and across different cultures. And, you know, how do they deal with that? Like, what are the issues that they're facing? What are the the positive things that are coming out of their communities? Um, and then the one at the East Coast, East Coast Game Conference is a little more developer focused where I talk about just basically the experiences of like watching, you know, hundreds of games over the last, it's been over six years or going on over six years that I've been running the mega booth. Um, you know, like what works and what doesn't work. And for me, it seems like, you know, it's kind of simple stuff like, okay, make sure your signage is, you know, the size by the size and make sure that it has really big, clear lettering and, you know, think about the kind of merchandise that you're going to be making. But for a lot of small developers, especially they don't have events teams, they don't have people helping them with this. And really the only way you learn that is you do it and it works or it doesn't work. Um, so I've had a lot of positive feedback on on the talk in general. So that's the one that I'll be giving at East Coast Game Conference. That sounds great. Uh, yeah. It sounds like it'd be a, a very useful thing for for developers, but also interesting, I think, from uh, just a gamer's perspective of just what it takes to you know put out even what you perceive to be a, a fairly small game. Yeah. And I mean, you go to something like PAX and you look around and even the stuff that looks really lo-fi, like I've talked about this before, is, you know, you see it's like we have the red carpeting and the the black backdrop and the tables and the chairs and this whole thing. And like, but when you look at the convention center two days before the show happens, it is literally empty. It is just a concrete floor, wow. you know, and like all, you, all that carpeting and you run electrical and you build all this stuff. And like, I mean, the amount of infrastructure and construction and just like this kind of like crazy thing. It's like you work days and days and days to build all this 
insane stuff. And then it's a whirlwind of fans and people and food and games and excitement. And then it's all torn down in like, you know, 24 hours. And then it's all back to just this concrete floor again. (laughs) (laughs) It's an amazing thing. I think, yeah. Yeah. And I think like from a fan perspective, it's like, you know, you're just seeing it from, from the kind of like front facing side of it and from behind the scenes, it's actually, it's incredibly impressive. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I, before we go, I want to I want to definitely talk about uh, the IGF. I, I, I guess this year is the twentieth annual, annual award ceremony. Is that right? I know. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. <laughs> Twenty years. <laughs> oh man, uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And and the ceremony will be, uh, I think, a, a pretty pretty special one. It sounds like you got a lot of cool stuff in store. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, it'll be on, I think it's on Wednesday evening. Uh, it's normally on the Wednesdays. And our host for this year is Trent Custers, uh, who is the co-founder of League of Geeks. Uh, also, I don't know, a personality onto himself. Yeah. Very lovely hair. Right. <laughs> if you want to see some beautiful curly hair, come and see the IGF Awards. And they made um, Armello, also- right? The game Armello. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and then we so IGF goes before the um, Game Developers Choice Awards, so it's kind of like a extravaganza of of award shows. And you can actually watch it; um, it's streamed, so you can watch it at home as well if you're not actually going to be there. But if you are at GDC, it's also open to all pass holders as well, um, so you can come and you can watch. And all the finalists and the honorable mentions are out there. And this is always the hardest part for me is like I know who the winners are, but I can't say anything because <laughs> we have. To- Until the show. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I was really happy with the lineup and like there's some really cool stuff, Um, you know, things that have been nominated in multiple categories. Like one of them is Baba is You. Yeah. Um, Which when that started coming up in the conversations, I was like, wow, that sounds really familiar. Uh, And I had given the keynote at Nordic Game Jam this past year and it was actually the winner for for that game jam. And so when I saw a screenshot of it, I was like, oh, I know that game. Um, it's super interesting. It's a, it's just a really, really cool mechanic. It's one of those games that like you see it and you're like, yeah, why hasn't someone done this before? Right. Um, or, you know, why hasn't someone done it in the same way? It's so simple, uh, but, but yeah. so captivating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and then night in the woods, of course, has, uh, has gotten nominated in a couple different things. And then, um, Getting over it with Bennett Foddy, the creator of Quop, um, yeah. which of course is a very Quop style game as well too. So it's like I feel like this year is like a, a lot of really kind of like cool, creative, interesting, artistic games. Um, yeah, and I'm pretty I'm pretty happy with the finalists and the, the honorable mentions. So I'm curious to see how people feel about the the winners as well. And again, that will be streamed live on Twitch. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Very cool. And that'll be Wednesday night. So I hope people tune in. I certainly will be watching. Uh, it's yeah. very cool. Thanks yeah. again for being with me again this year. I'm I'm so excited yeah. to see all the games at, at GDC and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks again for having me on. It's always awesome to talk to you. And yeah, if you're at GDC, come and check us out. You're at PAX, come and check us out. And if not, we're uh, on Twitter at Indie Mega Booth. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on email. We're all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Kelly. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much.